Tuesday, February 23rd, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone had a nice weekend. Uh, Looks like the the weather warming back up uh, over a lot of the United States. So hopefully a lot of you who had that really tough week last week uh, were able to to stay safe uh, through all of the low temperatures, no power water off, pipes bursting, all that craziness. Uh, my girlfriend Stephanie's dad, who actually lives in Dallas, um, also had to deal with a lot of that. He was without power for days, I think four days, five days, when it was all said and done, just recently uh, got his back on, so he he was able to hunker down and make, uh, make it through, and uh, looks like the, a lot of the racetracks and sports games and stuff that were canceled from last week will be getting rescheduled and we're going to have a big week uh, with Sam Houston this week four days of Sam Houston racing Wednesday Thursday Friday and Saturday on Saturday they have five stakes races for the Texas Reds Martha Clausen is going to join us on this episode to set those races up uh, give you a little preview of each of them and talk about what's had a, what's going on this week over there at Sam Houston uh, we're going to have Dave Handlin the NBA statistician for the Timberwolves radio play-by-play. He's going to be talking some NBA with with us. We spend about 45 minutes. We spend 10 or 15 talking about the T-Wolves, and then we bounce all around the league, things that we've noticed through the first 30 games or so. And then we've got horse racing for you. We'll set you up with the stable dual schedule for the week, and then uh, I'm going to talk about Gulfstream Park, some best bets for Wednesday. Full card, Sam Houston for Wednesday, 12 races on the card. And then we'll go to Thursday with Gulfstream Park, best bets for Thursday. Thursday, full card, Sam Houston. We close it out, Tim Kelly, with WandaVision Episode 7. We recap WandaVision from all angles, every single thing that happened scene by scene in a you know, spoiler alert, when we talk about that episode, we talk about everything going on, just two episodes left in the season. I think this week's episode of WandaVision was like 30 minutes, and we talked for like an hour and 15, so double the length of the actual show, because there's so much to discuss in WandaVision. So we've got NBA uh, with Dave, Martha Clausen talking Sam Houston, and then we get into racing for the week Thursday and Friday, or Wednesday and Thursday, excuse me, racing. Then we get to WandaVision with Tim Kelly. Kick back and enjoy an action-packed episode of That's What G Said that is brought to you by Cindy Carava, full-service realtor Cindy Carava, because we all know that one of the more stressful events in life is moving, all the stuff that goes into the process of relocating. You don't have to worry about all those factors. Cindy Carava will take care of those things for you. Cindy Carava, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. That's the website. And what a full-service realtor is, it means that she can help you in many different ways. Selling, purchasing, leasing. She can help you find vendors like a handyman, painter, landscaper, gardener that she's personally used in her own home. Maybe you need help getting pre-approved for a home loan. She can connect you with lenders that she works closely with and can highly recommend. Covering all parts of San Gabriel Valley, parts of North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. Maybe you're not in California, but you need some help. Maybe you don't know, uh, you have don't have a whole lot of connections for people in the real estate industry from where you're at or you're looking to move somewhere else. Contact Cindy. She can help you. She has connections with people all over the country, and she can put you into the home that you need or take care of whatever you need. Maybe you're just trying to find out how much your home is worth. She'll do a free market and analysis of your home's value. You can find her on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Reviews are on Yelp and Zillow. 
But the easiest way, cindycarava.com. You can find all the contact information, all the projects, all the homes she has up for sale, what she's recently sold, everything about Cindy cindycarava.com. Make sure to let her know that Gino sent you. She'll take great care of you, folks. She is one of the kindest and most genuine people I have ever met. Had the privilege of knowing Cindy now for uh, over a decade. cindycarava.com for all of your real estate needs. Okay, let's get into our first interview, and we're going to start talking NBA with Dave Handelin. NBA with Dave, we go for about 45 minutes. He works for the Timberwolves, so he obviously uh, has a ton of information about them. We talk for about 10-15 minutes about uh, their season, but we bounce all around who's been hot, who's not, what's surprised us, everything going on in the NBA with Dave Handelin. NBA! Another week in the NBA, we're going to talk with one of our very good friends here on That's What G Said podcast. He's joined us a few times to talk. He's joined us a bunch of times to talk horse racing when we would discuss Canterbury, which is coming up in, uh, in just a couple months now. Uh, he is the radio statistician for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Dave Handelin joining us. Dave, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you doing today, Gino? Oh man, I, I'm pumped up uh, after what was we were kind of talking before the show. It felt like a quiet sort of week in sports last week because of everything going on around the world. Games were canceled, racetracks were shut down, people were in their homes, they couldn't get out. Uh, it was cold, there were no power, but it seems like um, the, the, the U.S. is warming back up. And I, I think we got a really fun week coming up with a lot of uh, big races as tracks have, have uh, reopened. And can you believe that we're like, just four or five games away from the all-star break in the NBA already. Yeah. that It's with them packing in as many games as they have, where it's whatever team anybody's cheering for, you're, you're likely getting a game every other night out of your team. And they're just packing in these games and we're already to this halfway point. We still don't know, I guess the second half. Of the season they haven't even schedule. put the schedule out. Yeah. They haven't put the schedule out yet for the second half because I think they were waiting to see how many games they they needed to reschedule from the first half also. And I think they kind of want to spread the second half out from everything that I've read. They're going to try to do a better, a, a good job of like the season ending in like middle of May, which is just kind of weird overall as an NBA fan, because we're so used to the normal schedule and the timing. Like we're, fe- we, we feel like right now should, shouldn't be too much left in the year, but we have a full half of the season left. So just in our own brains, we got to sort of manage uh, the way that we've kind of uh, analyzed the, the season because there's still a ton of season left to be played. Yeah. There's a ton of season. And like, usually I guess traditionally with the all-star game, it's, it's not like a halfway point. No. It's probably 60%, 65% of the way of the season. And then shortly after that, then you have the trade deadline. And then the final home stretch where this year, uh, most teams are in the, like the low 30s of games played right now. And we're going to hit the midseason, or we're going to hit the all-star break. And then, boom, right back into it again. And it's not like it's going to be a long time of regular season. It's all going to be packed into two yeah. months. And yeah. It's, it's gonna it's gonna be a wild ending with everything that's gonna go on the traditional NBA when you factor in that and you 
you're going to have buyout season, which is good. We'll get into that, but that's going to change the dynamics of what each team is. And- Buyouts, trades, injuries, you know, it's funny. Cause like we look at, we look at the season, we do this every year. Like everyone who, you, you know, you look at the standings and right now it's like, Oh wow, Utah is awesome. And they're going to be unbeatable, but we got to remember, you know, th- this was probably exactly what we were thinking about with Milwaukee at this point of the season yes. last year. Yes. Yep. There's, there's there's regular season success and then there's postseason success and how it actually translates. This Utah team has been together, but what the run that they have been on, where they've won like twenty of twenty one games, is is unbelievable, absolutely crazy. I've I, I, seen that happen in the NBA before, where teams go on. Just I think there was a Houston Rockets team with Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming yeah. thirteen years ago that put up some like crazy streak of like a sixteen seventeen game winning streak, but for what that Utah team is doing, when you look at you look at the roster, they're a good team, and Quinn Snyder's had them in the upper echelon of the West for the last few years. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anybody ever envisioned that roster and how it looks compared to a stretch like this, where they've been dominant. This like, good. They're killing teams. It's not they're like good. they're just squeaking out wins. It, it's it's very reminiscent of the Milwaukee, like you said, of Milwaukee last season. Like they're. They're not just winning games, they are pounding teams I think they've lost two games in their last, what, 24, 25 And the two games they lost, they lost one to the Clippers Where they actually came all the way back just the other night And they had a, they had a chance to win that game And um, the other game they lost was They lost a game to Denver when Jokic scored 48 And I think Denver as a team had like 15 threes in the first half those are the only two games they've lost recently. So I agree with you. It's it's one of those things that we do as fans, which is so difficult. Like, I think we have to at the be able to do two things, right? We have to be able to give Utah all the credit in the world, um, and and, and not try to get too ahead of ourselves by saying, ah, they might not be a playoff team. Because you know what? I mean, they might not be a team that wins in the playoffs. We don't know that. And um, I think we, as analysts, like get a little too far ahead of ourselves. Like I, I've, I've felt this with the Dodgers the last couple of years until they they won last year. It was like, okay, we have to get to the playoffs. You know what? It's nice to enjoy having a really good team that's just kicking the crap out of people in the regular season. So if you're a Jazz fan, enjoy it, embrace it, and it's going to continue to build you confidence. It feels sort of like Dave. I think. I mean, there's a lot going on, but it, it kind of feels like we have like a top three in the West. I know the Lakers are struggling right now. They're missing AD. They're missing Schroeder. They've lost three in a row. Um, I, I still kind of feel like it's Lakers, Clippers, and and even Jazz now with how well they've played. They sort of feel like they're kind of floating in a top tier. Um, I know there's a lot of teams like in the middle right behind them, but do you sort of agree that those three feel a little bit of a cut above the rest? Yeah, those those three really do feel like they stand out, and that's and that's gonna be kind of I guess one of the intrigues for the final half of the season is there's gonna be a battle I think to get to that one seed mm-hmm. where and, and you think with LeBron maybe he's gonna take some games off, but it really doesn't seem like that's what they're gonna end up doing. And LeBron wants to be on the court. Doesn't want like, to come out of games. I know like, the teams who finish second and third are gonna have to face each other likely in the conference semifinals where that team that finishes first is going to get a looks to be a much easier trip. And so I think there's going to be a massive battle as these teams really get into fifth gear. All right, it's lock and go. Like you need to be the one seed in the West to avoid that. Potentially that Lakers Clippers, maybe have them match up in the semifinals or in the conference semis, which is not what either of those teams want to do. 
no. And uh, yeah, and then and then you know the middle the middle part of the West is it's just sort of what we all assumed. They're just a bunch of really solid, really good teams that are going to kind of move up and down based on who's healthy, who's not. You know, you kind of got like Portland, you got the Nuggets that sort of feel in that range. Yeah, Dallas has struggled a little bit. How the hell does San Antonio keep doing it, Dave? I just like every year we just assume you look at their roster and you and you just assume, okay, this is probably the year where they come back to life. They've had Aldridge missing for a while, but you know what? They actually are a, like a, they're a better team, more of a perimeter team, better defensively when he's not on the court. Um, I don't know how this team just keeps winning games every year. Greg Popovich, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's when, it, right? When we, yeah. when we did our preseason, our our mega preseason show. That was one of the things I think we both kind of bashed on their roster and said, all right, well, you know what, 16 and this appears to be the year, but it's, it's Popovich, so who knows, but this just appears to be the year. And then, nope, here they are, 16-11, hanging out in sixth in the West. Like, it, 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 the, the job that he does and that front office does of getting players that fit into that system is, and for Pop maximizing and getting the players when DeRozan's out or Aldridge is out, next man up, you go in there and you perform as well as that the player that you're replacing. It's the, the job that he's done. I, I hope we everybody appreciates mm-hmm. what he does. It's, it's, it's not it's, a it's not a hotbed for free agent destinations. That no, and he just they they draft wisely and they plug in correctly from the free agency. And they do a, they do a great job. Hey, I want to add one more. So we got the Utah. I pull, yeah. I pulled it up here while I was looking. So their last 16 wins, Gino, when we're talking about them crushing teams, only one of those games, one of those 16 wins has been a margin under 10 points, and it was an eight-point win versus Indiana. I think so they've covered every game wins, except for the Denver have, game. Yeah, It's all double digits. Like, and they're covering the spread. Like, they're, they're beating Vegas right now. Like, Vegas doesn't really know what to do with this team because they didn't expect them to be this good. So they yeah. keep having to, like, set the lines for Utah higher and higher. They're up to a plus 9.6 Point differential. Just to give you an idea, um, the second and third place teams in the West, the Clippers and the Lakers, have a plus six point and a six point four differential, and only one team in the entire East has over five. That's Milwaukee with a plus seven. So they are kicking the crap out of teams in a year where a lot of teams aren't. Right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of teams are just kind of going back and forth, losing by 10, winning by 10 the next game. They are consistently hands down the best team in the league right now. They are 25 and 6. And I'm glad you pointed that out because they deserve all of the the praise and the accolades through these 31 games so far. No doubt they've been the best team and they've been well coached and they're gonna be uh they're gonna be tough to beat. Let's see if the Lakers or the Clippers can climb that three and a half game margin they are behind them. Lakers actually play Utah. You and I are recording this on Tuesday. Lakers play Utah on Wednesday. I think the Lakers, I think Utah will win that game by like 20. I really do. Just the way that both of those teams are playing right now. Lakers are banged up, they're tired, they're just like limping to the all-star break. Utah wants to just keep playing games. Mm-hmm. Like they just want to keep beat, and I'm sure they'll love the opportunity to try to like beat up on a, a Laker team that has uh, has beat up on them through the years, especially if this team's a little wounded right now. So I, I would not be surprised if Utah handles the Lakers um, on on Wednesday night. But that right, that game's on. That's an ESPN game, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all LeBron, your team's down. You're gonna lose. You're gonna right. get crushed. Oh, that's a total MVP LeBron. narrative game, and, right? And this is when LeBron all of a sudden 
40 points, 15 mm-hmm. rebounds, 15 assists. Like, in, in short, it's, it seems like he's, it's kind of like Popovich. Whenever you, whenever you give a hint of doubt that, all right, here, for, here we go, LeBron. Not, you, you can't win this, LeBron. And then all of a sudden they win and, oh, is this Utah team for real? They finally face LeBron. <laughs> right. We forget these guys are, are human sometimes, you know? And they hear and see and read everything that's being said. And so it's just like you said, as soon as somebody starts to doubt them, as soon as all the people coming into this year, Popovich is reading how they all say the Spurs are done, this roster can't do this or that, you know he gets a little extra motivated. LeBron... Does it on purpose I mean we all watched the last dance documentary We saw Michael Jordan making things up to motivate himself Mm -hmm. LeBron does the same thing He was doing it last year when they was calling himself the washed king and this and that So you're right The moment you sort of When they're at the the biggest He's at his biggest struggles Or when he's going through some uh, some adversity He he somehow finds a way to get out the other end And uh, it'll be a fun game to kick back and watch And see if the Lakers can keep up with a, a really good Utah team Who's been playing just lights freaking out yeah, that'll um, be that'll be that'll be a nice little Wednesday night for yeah. everybody who likes the NBA. So we didn't get a chance at, at the beginning to talk a, a whole bunch about the the T Wolves. Let's start talking about them uh, right now. It's such a bummer for this team because they have you know new management. They have uh, new new people in places of power. They had some excitement wanting to team Carl Anthony Towns with D'Angelo Russell. Put these two guys together. And they've only gotten to play five games together since they they arrived together when D'Lo came in the trade about a year ago. Uh, Towns missed the beginning of the season, sprained his wrist. Then he had COVID. Um, D'Angelo is going to be out the next four to six weeks with a knee surgery. They've barely played together. Um, and, and then, you know, all the stuff that happened with Cat in the offseason with his family losing, what, six family members to COVID. He has just had... Um, as bad of a six, eight months as, as a person can possibly have. But now all that being said, the last week or two, they've actually played some pretty good basketball. And there are plenty of things about this team to be excited about looking forward. Yep, for, uh, for sure. There was, I, I would say that first 20 games of the season, after we, we won our first two games, or the Wolves won their first two games, and... Let's see. Yeah, they won their first two games, and then it, then Cat gets hurt, and then it just oh, there, there was a stretch where it was down. They were just getting pummeled, and you're constantly down by twenty, which made things extremely difficult. Which, when your best player's out, and just it just wasn't a good situation. And then yeah. since then, Cat's returned, and you, you see how big of a difference he makes. As as you know, like with any of these teams, if they're losing their best player, no shot. Yeah. It, it it completely it completely kills them and puts the team kind of under paralysis. And now that cat's back, where they're they're playing and they're they're in games and they're getting down to the end and it just it comes down to execution at the end. Mm-hmm. And they've they've blown some kind of bad leads at the end. And as we saw just the other night, they they, they clawed their way back and then just struggled at the very end, missing their final seven shots in New York. And that was. They've made the decision to move on from Ryan Saunders after about who's head coach for a year and a half, along with an interim for when he replaced Tibbs a few years ago. So they made the decision there. Uh, they hired Chris Finch, who was like highly, highly regarded, moved around 
is lead assistants kind of all over it's just kind of interesting too because this is you normally don't see somebody hiring an assistant from another team in the middle of the year like that and then coming over and coaching immediately yeah it was i think i think lionel hollands maybe 2008 2009 when he came to memphis i think was the last time something like that had happened because it is it's it's not a it's yeah not a common thing it's it's a weird dynamic where i believe they're keeping the whole coaching staff in place and then just bringing him over as like to think yeah you can completely tear up a coaching staff is probably not going to happen but like a lot of their coach their assistant coaches are highly regarded coaches pablo perleone and david vanderpool who came from portland these guys are all kind of in the running to be head coaches it seemed and then yeah bringing over finch and but every everybody's extremely excited about him he's offense genius like i think the hope is he was at denver when most out of him and the hope is that all right spacing wise they're gonna he's gonna be able to do the same thing with cat and he's kind of said that already is all right this we're gonna cat is we're gonna run through him and figure things out so it, and, it's gonna be you very compare- interesting it's the the as I pr- probably a lot of people know, not everybody, the Wolves, their pick next year as part of that D'Angelo trade for Wig or the Wiggins trade for D'Angelo that we got. We also have to give up a, a, a first round pick and it's top three protected. So if the Wolves finish the top three in the lottery, we would keep the pick. If not, that pick goes on. So the, with the way that the NBA's lottery odds are now like really you have a 40 percent chance even if you're one of the bottom three teams you're all kind of in the same boat yeah it's not like the tanking before a few years ago where you were almost guaranteed to be one of those bottom three so it's still going to be some bounce of the ball and so i guess that sort of puts you in a spot where it's okay because you still want to win some games you want to try to develop and that's going to be the key here um after such a struggle to the the first part of the year you know you probably don't have playoff aspirations even maybe a play in game you know play and stuff who knows but more than anything i think it's got to be like you said you got a new coach in and it's developing a few years ago cat was right in that conversation with Embiid and Jokic with those those guys that are legitimate MVP candidates right now, like they're in the, on the top five of anyone's MVP list this year. There's no reason why offensively he can't be as much of a force. Defensively, he's not. I don't think ever going to be the defensive player of the year. But even that, he's he's improved this year. He's actually having a career high in blocks, and he seems like a smart player who. Will in the right situation buy in when he has to? I think when the games matter, he'll play some defense. He'll lock down. It's just so hard when you're losing, when you're struggling, when you don't feel like you're you're on a team that's necessarily winning to like to put in all of that little extra oomph all the time. I do think with Cat in a, in a right situation, he would be a serviceable, fine defender, and then he could absolutely be your number one offensive guy. Oh, I, I think for sure on that. And like def- defensively, like, and yeah, you said that about the blocks, but he, his positioning is a, just a lot better this year. And his he's a smart guy. He's got a and high that's, IQ. That's one thing I'm able to get like at games when there's nobody else there, you can hear them talking. Like every once in a while, I'll take off my headset and just try to hear down on the court what's going on. You can hear Cat trying to put people around in the right positions on defense, which not say he, he didn't do that the past years, but I just, Maybe I have just better access to it now, but he is definitely doing that a lot more, which defensively, 
he's been much better and the team has has been better defensively and, and granted some of that is with with the lineup uh we I know Edwards is getting a lot of the pub especially for the dunk that he had the other night uh, as as the number one pick but we there's a player 28th overall Jaden mm-hmm. McDaniels and while Edwards I think is your high-end sports car I think I I've referred to McDaniels as kind of like the, the scratch off lottery ticket where yeah. you take him down there at 28th and you're, you're, you're hoping you can get something, but for the flashes that he's shown defensively, he's four, he can def- defend he, like all four, unless yep. you have like a big, big, any other spot he can defend. And he, he chases, he's like, he's the, like one of the leading block guys for percentages. 4.6% for block rate. Yeah. And he, he's a great, he's 38% three point shooter, like for a 20 year old kid. And I, I know highest block rate of any non-center is a top five high school recruit. And he ended out at Washington. It was kind of an up and down year. And then he slides in the draft and it, it really looks like they've hit something on him, which is, I, I'm always jealous seeing other teams these other years hit on these players. Like, yeah. Why, why don't we ever hit on somebody like that? And it seems like Jaden McDaniels is finally that guy where it's, he, all right, here's a 20-year-old that nobody really, like, nobody expected 30 games into the year is this guy's going to be a 20 to 30-minute rotation. Is this the four that you put next mm-hmm. to Pat in the going forward? Like, it would be a huge thing, especially – especially if they end up do losing that top that three, pick. The pick next year, you have to think, all right, well, mindset wise, maybe this McDaniels can replace that. What, of, what you would have gotten last year yeah. or from, what you would have gotten next year from them. The, the numbers that, that are, you know, this is reading from a, an article that the ringer um, posted the other day and said the, the wolves have a net rating of plus 3.8 in the 480 minutes with McDaniels on the floor. And in the thousand minutes without him, they're minus eleven point one. That's incredible for a twenty-year-old kid to have that kind of on-off splits. I mean, and those are—we're not talking like thirty minutes versus fifty minutes. We're talking four hundred and eighty minutes for him on the court, where they're a plus. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable what he's done. And like he he didn't get minutes right away, except in mop-up duty. And then the mop-up duty, like he he, he flashed. <laughs> but it was even nothing like I was like, like, all right, this guy needs to play. Like there was like flashes. He would make a shot and block the shot and do this. And it was once he got kind of w- with, with other things in the rotation, he kind of got force fed some minutes and they tried him. And then all of a sudden he just really, po- it just popped. And it was like, wow, this guy, like he needs to be on the court. He like, this is one of the five guys we need to play. Like, like, so Jaden McDaniels and, if it, anybody out there has the league pass, and I know the Wolves seven and twenty four, and it's not the sexiest record in the world, but no, it's, but they, it's they're fun now. Basketball and Cat's back. Daniels, this team wouldn't be that bad with Cat. You know what I mean? Like no. if he was there throughout, they would be in the mix towards the bottom. You know what I mean? They just wouldn't be this bad of a team, no doubt about it, because they've been feisty, and like you said, they found a few. Like someone like Nas Reed has been yeah. solid for them. Like so. You, you know, you put together the, the problem, and I think is what we said with a lot of these teams when you and I talked during the season, even the teams like we've seen with like Boston and Toronto, there were a lot of teams this year and with the quick turnaround, with all the COVID stuff that don't have the depth and they don't have a big margin for error. 
right? If one or two of their key pieces is out, they're going to be in trouble. This Wolves team, it, to succeed, they need all of their major contributors that contributors around, and you can actually see, okay, now, like, if you put Cat with uh, a healthy D'Angelo with now, oh, you got a guy like McDaniels now who can play some defense, and you got Edwards who's actually... Probably ahead of schedule for where people expected him to be. You throw Nas Reed in the mix there, and all of a sudden you've you know Rubio can do what you he's he's probably been a little disappointing in his return, but he can still be a serviceable point guard if you what you need. All of a sudden you've got a six or seven rotation that seems very competent. It's just a problem when Cat's gone for three weeks. Now D'Angelo's gone for four weeks. You have someone missing for COVID for here. It there you're just not deep enough to. To fill the gaps when those yeah. guys are missed, it's consistency. And you look at you look at the the good teams, and they run out the same starting five night in, night yep. out. And it's the Wolves have had something like sixteen or seventeen starting lineups, and it's just it, it's tough to build continuity with, amongst the group when you're doing that, especially when it's yeah, cats in, cats out, and then all of a sudden D'Angelo is in and. Like you're just rotating amongst them, and all right, how how do we how do we play best to utilize these guys? But it's it, it's an interesting year, and it's I I believe we're gonna I believe they're gonna play pretty well here. The last half I do too. Year. I, I think they have the incentive to play well, and it it really feels like they were starting to turn the corner a little bit. That it's just gonna be a matter of closing games, and and that's that's where we'll figure out what Finch what he can do, and that was. What he said at his, at his press conference on Monday when how how do you want to be judged? And he, he didn't say, oh, player growth or anything like that. He, he said wins and losses. So I, I believe that's going to be the emphasis. They're going to be trying to win games as they should be. Before we move on and kind of do some quick hits around the rest of the league, we're talking Wolves. We got to give a shout out to Malik Beasley. He's, he's been one of the constants all year long and in those games where there was like nobody there or where the roster was depleted this guy would go and put up 20 and he's averaging over 20 points a game so far which um is probably a surprise that he's been this productive so definitely uh you know sometimes when guys are out and they're hurt and you're able to find someone like this too who can raise his game a little bit he's he's been able to at least help keep you in some games yeah Beasley's been phenomenal like he was the trade last year when kind of overhauled everything. It was part of the Robert Covington, and that brought us uh, Jared Vanderbilt and Beasley in that trade, along with mm-hmm. Juancho Hernan Gomez. But Beasley, once he got his time to shine last year, and he he was just great. He was he was a guy kind of stuck on the depth chart in Denver, and he finally got his chance to break out. And yeah, he's he's a twenty point game guy shooting in the forty percent on threes, like his. I know Allen reads on air the like his corner three percentage is like 45 percent, which is like the third best in the league. So like he he's he's carved himself a role with this team and shows that all right, this is this guy's a contributor. And the the Wolves Wolves rewarded him this offseason kind of kind of paying for the future and paying on mm-hmm. your hope and your progress where they gave him it was a it was a very financially lucrative deal for him and but it, it's one now that looks like it might have might be a bargain on the wall yeah, absolutely like you, at the time it looks oh no this is maybe a little bit much for a guy with with his history of there's not a lot to go off of 
but now it's one of those things like, God, this deal actually looks pretty good. It, it's, it's, it's a little bit different, but like, remember that Steph Curry deal that he signed? Yes. He was coming off his ankle injuries and like, all right, well, they paid him this because he just has history. Well, within like the first year of that deal, uh-oh, this is a major bargain. Mm-hmm. That was kind of when they were able to bring in everybody. They had all the salary cap space because they were paying Steph Curry. And, oh, you see him on ESPN of he's the 100th highest paid player in the league. Like, like that. This like there's the four, I, I see what you're saying like with with some of the young players that that you have swung on and sort of kind of um, hit on right now there is the formation for that kind of a thing you just need the big guys to stay healthy yeah. you just need everybody to stay out on the court because like we said we've gone through like now seven or eight players on the team that all seem like they could be very nice pieces you just need the the two big ones the, the guys that are going to score twenty to twenty five a game for you to be there all the time. Yeah. Um, with D'Angelo and with Cat, uh, let's bounce around the league. Hit a couple yeah. of few quick hits. Uh, so, just to give everybody an idea of how things have changed. In 1997, Michael Jordan averaged 14 and a half mid-range jumpers per game himself. In 2021, only five teams shoot that many mid-range jumpers per game. It's all threes and it's all drives, and we're seeing that um, teams. I mean the Anyone can really beat anyone when they're hot from three and, and when they're shooting at such a, a high volume and such a high clip. So we we see we've seen some weird results throughout the the season and some nights where you just kind of scratch your head and somebody's getting their their ass kicked. Um, how about this as a weird stat too, Dave? The Raptors are sixteen and zero in their last sixteen games without Kyle Lowry. Remember with without uh, Kawhi. A couple years ago how good they were And they were able mm-hmm. to sit Kawhi and make it all the way through Their team and their organization too That's another one where like They've figured out how to win They had such a bad bad start to the year Where everybody said uh oh They're in trouble what's going to happen with the Raptors And now you look up The East is really weak And all of a sudden the Raptors are sitting in the fifth spot Just right back to where they are And Fred Fred Lang's has been really good They've they need. They were going to need somebody to step up, and I think they've got that a little bit from that Chris Boucher. Like he's he's been able to hop in and help out. But yeah, they're right at right where they always are. They're right there in the mix. And Nick Nick Nurse is a hell of a coach. Like mm-hmm. we know that with yeah for with your stat there with when Kawhi was out that year, they just kept on rolling the same way. And when Kawhi was in, then they pummeled teams even more and won the championship as re- as a result. So. Toronto, that was, yeah, go back to like our early season call. Like that was, that was a team we thought, all right, do they have the depth to do it? And really other than Lowry's in and out of the lineup, they haven't really had to deal with any depth issues and they've been able to keep their guys in. So it's, and the East has been a weaker, keep on going. Yeah. The East has been overall has been pretty weak, to be honest. You know, the, the, the middle to the bottom part of the East has been very weak. How about Norman Powell, one of the most underrated players uh, mm-hmm. in, in the NBA in February, 11 games, 21 and a half points, 3.9 rebounds, 1.7 assists, 1.3 steals. He's shooting 52% from the field, 48% from three, and 93% from the free throw line. You just don't think about Norman Powell as a 20-point-a-game scorer, you know? And he's had a month now where he's been really, really good, and that has helped them go on this little bit of a streak where they're able to jump right back up to, to 16 and 15. Um Couple other uh, that I want to mention bouncing around the league. Giannis last seven games, 
He's averaging 32 points, 14.6 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals, 1.4 blocks, 13 free throw attempts per game. And he's actually shooting 74% from the free throw line, which for Giannis, that's all he needs, Dave. And and the, this is one of the teams that is going to is like the most difficult to provide analysis for because Milwaukee's been such a good regular season team. Giannis has been an MVP, but we've seen them kind of crumble in the playoffs the last couple of years. And so they're one of those teams that we just kind of want to speed it up, you know, like, Hey, let's get to the playoffs and then we can judge you. But when they go through these stri- streaks and stretches where Giannis is this awesome, I think it's always worth giving him some props. Oh, for, for sure. And the, I think what they've started to do with him is, and, and I know there's been calls for it previous years, but it seems like they're really starting to utilize him at the center position. Yes. Which is, Make him like, Shaq and not LeBron. Every player, oh, well, how, you need to be able to shoot from distance. You need to be able to shoot from distance. Well, if you're a 25% or 20% shooter from distance, why are you shooting from distance? If you're a 6'11", you're the Greek freak, go down on the low block and just abuse defenders down there because you're size-wise, you match up with them, but also athletically, you can get over them at will and just take your two points every time doing that and get your occasional and one along with getting people into fall trouble. So using that along with when he's down there, that forces double teams, which opens up the perimeter for three point shooting and, and that can lock some of their shooters. So utilizing Giannis down on the block, I think really is going to be the key. I think for Milwaukee, that, I think that's the way they have to go is Giannis. You're, you're going to be our guy. And, you're going to be our young Shaq uh, yep. down there, right? Like he's so athletic down there. He's he can he's such a mismatch for anyone that's trying to guard because he's quick, because he's long, because he's strong, because he'll punch you. He's a badass too. Like he doesn't mind mixing it up down there. He's not soft at all. No. And and exactly like don't make him into a. Uh, what you want LeBron to you think LeBron and LeBron was able to kind of create himself like create something that he really wasn't initially you know we have these same like issues with LeBron early free throws and three pointers and if if they sagged off of him a little bit and gave him that shot could he make it but Giannis is different he's just big he's bigger honestly and that's what it comes down to he's never really been quite as skilled like handling the ball as LeBron was and he he could just crush you down low, like you said. Make him into young Shaq. Don't try to have him be your LeBron. Um, yeah. Lon- you know, we, we've been hearing a lot of uh, hype about LaMelo Ball, but quietly, Lonzo Ball has been playing really well in February. 12 games, 16.7 points per game, 5.2 assists, 4.8 rebounds, 1.3 steals. He's shooting 43 per- or 47% from three on eight three-point attempts per game. And another big one for Lonzo, Dave, uh, the free throw percentage, 82%. So shooting better from three, shooting better from the free throw line. He's scoring uh, assists and rebounds like we'd assume with him. It's it's been a little off in New Orleans, but I think what we just said with Giannis, they're kind of figuring out that when they actually do the opposite with with Zion, when they put the ball in his hands, good things really happen because he's such a crazy mismatch and he draws so much attention. Lonzo is is one of those guys who's benefiting from all that attention that Zion's been drawing. Yeah, he... Lonzo's Lonzo's kind of making that step that I think people kind of thought he was going to take a few mm-hmm. years ago. And yep. It's finally happening now. It's just that that whole that whole Pelicans team right now is just it's one of those that are kind of question marks of what's exactly going on there. Like right. I've got I, 
I, I have kind of five teams that I notated of like, all right, these are teams that had high expectations for that have just, they're kind of blah. And it was like the Pelicans. And then I'm sure we'll get into these, but like the Pelicans and I think the Mavs and along with Miami and Atlanta, like, and along with Boston, like I, these are teams that are all, I thought they would be kind of a different level and they're all yeah underachieving. Like, but yeah, the, the, the whole Pelicans, it's going to be something to watch with Stan Van Gundy. They, they brought him in. You get, you have some high hopes, what he's going to do. And it just, it hasn't clicked of how to utilize, get, how do you get the most out of Zion? Maybe, maybe they've got into something here a little bit now, but they're going to be, they're, they have a team like with JJ Reddick down there, like potentially he becomes a buyout player. Mm-hmm. Nice trade on, piece. On yeah. Some, somewhere on another roster. And I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Like, Lon, I've even seen Lonzo's name floating around there in the trade. Yeah. Now. Like, because I suppose he's probably coming up. He's pr- nearing contract. This is this year. This is his contract. Yeah. So it's, it's either year. they're they're going to try to figure out. Hey, if we're not going to if we're not going to stick with Lonzo, then maybe we can just get something for him. Um, yeah. If we're not going to we're not going to go all in with him. Um, but he and he's he's playing well in his contract year. So yeah, those are a lot of the things that I noticed. You, you were mentioning some of the teams that you had had noted down that had struggled. Um, and, uh, and Boston was one of them. They seem like such a, like just such a top heavy roster, right? I think this was one of those teams that we pinpointed and said, Tatum Brown and Brown has been even better than you could have imagined. Like he's continued to take next steps to like a top 20 player. And he's one of the better two way players. He's really, really good. But then you, you, you remove yourself from those two. And you've got Kemba, who's really, really struggled. You had Marcus Smart, who's been out of the lineup. And what do they get from their bigs, Tice and Thompson? That, and that's really it. Like, after that, they are getting some st- something from Peyton Pritchard. But the rest of their bench, like all those picks that Ainge has had for years and kind of tease trading, they're just a bunch of guys that, like you said, um, when, when you were kind of hoping that we can swing and hit on one of these low first-round picks— they haven't done that very often. Yeah, like they took some heat on, I think, the Pritchard pick, but he ended up being, he's been one of their better lower yeah. picks. <laughs> but like, if you look, if you would have looked and said, all right, Boston Celtics, New York Knicks, how are these teams going to beat each other come All-Star game? Like, if, if we would have done this before the season, you would have said, all right. 10 games difference. We would have be terrible. You laughed at anybody who said they were tied. You would have laughed at anyone who said tied. they were. <clears throat> they are basically tied right yeah. now, which is unbelievable. And it that... shows you Tibbs, you know, you know, Tibbs from over there. It's, it's a coaching thing too, right? Like, and I'm not saying that Boston's not well coached. It's, it's more that the Knicks are overachieving because they play hard every night. They play defense. You know that's what Tibbs is going to make you do. Julius Randle has looked like an all-star. And it's just a consistency from them. Every night, whether or not the Knicks make their shots, they're going to give you a baseline level effort on the defensive end. And that keeps them in a lot of games. Yeah, it it does. R.J. Barrett's, he's he seems to have made a, a step this year. And yeah, at the Julius Randle becoming just a, a fantasy basketball like superstar of threatening like triple doubles every night and like he he is yeah you saw him in la there for a while and he loved the kid around and it's he's really just it's really popped for him this year under tibbs and 
<laughs> I saw someone like he's leading the league in minutes, I believe. Right. It's, it's something like, ah, oh, the classic Tibbs, like get yep. the minutes and Julius Randall's like leading the league in minutes. Well, it, it's working. Like, it is. It's one of those things. It's, that was a team that probably people would have thought, all right, 30, 31 games in, they might be nine and 22. And instead they're 15 and 16 and they're, they're chugging along and they went added Derrick Rose thinking, all right, like this is for real. Let's, let's add to our bench and add some scoring. And so, yeah, the job that Tibbs has done with the Knicks, getting them to be on the same level record wise as the Boston Celtics right now is, is a job well done by him. And, but yeah, with, with the Celtics, it's, I don't know, like Danny Ainge is, I don't know if he's got to work something here, but with, with Kemba and yeah, you've got Tatum and Brown both excelling. And yeah, Jalen Brown should make his first all-star team. I suppose mm-hmm. by the time, by the time this airs, he will be as, yeah, be on his first all-star team, but the job, yeah, J- Jalen Brown's a stud. Tatum's a stud. And all right, now they need to, they need to figure out, all right, how do, how do we maximize these two? Because mm-hmm. for do you keep those two guys together for ten years, you should be super competitive. But you look up and you go, "This is a weak East," and and you're you're five hundred right now. Like yeah. they still like with those two guys alone, they should be a little bit better than this right now. So definitely some some concerns in Boston. Um, I, we have a few minutes left here uh, with Dave, and uh, I'll mention Brooklyn, and then anything else that you want to anyone else that you want to hit on, Dave. We can we can go through. I figured we have to at least talk about Brooklyn at some point because. Uh, I mean, offensively, when those three guys are together, they look incredible. I just, um, I have my, it's, it's, you know, like we've been saying with a lot of these teams, handicapping them in the regular season, they're the type of team that can beat you by 20 points because you're just not ready for them when they come with those three guys and what they can do offensively. I think come playoff time in a series, when they have to play defense, when you have, when you're able to game plan for them a little bit more, I think they will. I'm not, I'm not quite in the in the uh, the camp that they're just gonna, uh, you know, slide right through the East and be the automatic team in the finals. But watching them in the regular season when they're humming, um, even when it's just two of the the big three that they have offensively, they're fantastic. Their questions are always going to be on the defensive end. Yep, it'll be defensively. They're and they'll have to add a piece. They're going to be a team that's going to be. Likely a buyout candidate as well. Like I, I know I've seen the rumors about maybe Drummond potentially as a piece or Blake Griffin and Demarcus Cousins. And grant grant, if you're if you're getting a player off of buyout, they're not gonna be a complete game changer. But we've seen guys like Andre Godal in the past where they if you can get them to be a rotational guy and extra and to eat up some minutes that you need and do one thing really well, like it, it seems like they need to find somebody who's that defensive person. And yep. that's where they need to go. But since they've since they've apparently had the talk where Harden's the point guard and Kyrie's going to be the shooting guard, that's kind of what's unleashed yep. everything. It seems. Yep. Their or roles are, are better role. this, in this way. Yep. Yep. And they're kind of oh, we're basketball players. We'll figure it out. We'll do it. And like it was working, but now that they have the roles of all right, Harden's point guard. Kyrie's shooting guard and Kevin Durant's top three players in the league. Like, this is what we're going to do. That seems like it's really unleashed it of, all right, 
now they've made that they've made that step from really good to all right they're elite super team and i got i gotta think i know philly's got a little bit better record than them right now but it's what we see like they're, they're i expect them to be the team coming out of the east and who knows they might even might even be the favorite when when it all's yeah when it's all said and done like they're what lead is safe if if they're behind by 10 with two minutes to go in a playoff game it's not over it's it's not over with these guys they're able to score just firepower after firepower like no lead is safe with them that they're going to constantly be in a game unless unless you've got them by 15 with a minute to go then you can probably think you're safe but if if they're healthy nash is meshing he's figuring out what with first-time coach and Steve Nash, who hadn't been a coach, and he he's getting the guys to play, and it's it's kind of what we saw with Steve Kerr when he took over in Golden State. Like, he's the guy who understands the players, puts them in position to succeed. You don't have to micromanage these guys; just get them out there in the court, make sure that they're all on the same page, and then it clicks, and off they go. And it'll it'll be for them, I think. Mental, physical, right? Physically, they're healthy going into the playoffs. They're going to be tough. And then mentally, you know, we right now things are going great for them. But three weeks ago, Kyrie was nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. And 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 Harden has been someone who's curled up in a ball in big situations in the playoffs before when they when teams have needed him. So, um, right, they're they're the type of team that when they're winning and things are going well, they're going to be looking so so good. Um, when when something hits a little turmoil, when they have to have uh, you know a look in the mirror moment, will Nash and D'Antoni be able to steer the ship there with with some very strong personalities? You know um, that that's what I'm I'm fascinated by. But they look really good. They will probably run into Joel Embiid, who looks uh, like a legitimate MVP and, and candidate right now. And again, if he's healthy, that'll be a kind of an interesting contrast because who do you have try to guard Embiid on that team? Um, and, and then you have the Nets who will just kind of try to stretch them out and, and score. So I actually would, I would love to see those two teams healthy in a seven game series. Yep. That would be a nice little, nice little matchup. Yeah. With, with Ben Simmons and Embiid, you go the two big guys versus that team and Durant's going to get matchup on one of them. And you, you see Simmons, he can guard pretty much anybody on the court. So I assume they probably would put him on Harden to try to try to bite the head off the snake off there and put him on there. But I don't know. Like the Sixers have been really good. Tobias Harris after kind of struggling last year, he's, he's reemerged this year to the yep. kind of playing. I don't know if he'll ever match the contract that he has, but he's playing up to that contract and like Maury going out. Like, I think everybody knew that Seth Curry would unleash some of their distance and open up some space, but uh, yeah, Seth Curry is putting up a statistical season of shooting that like mimics his brother, which is unbelievable. Not nearly the volume, and, he, and he's and he's not at that level. But for for the shooting that he's doing, he is doing everything that the Philadelphia 76ers needed him to be. Finishing up here with uh, Dave Handelin. Dave, uh, any anything else that we didn't hit on, or anyone else that you want to discuss before we let you go? I don't know. I think we, I think we made it through yeah. pretty good here, on guys. And I, I think we got yeah, we hit we hit pretty much everyone. And uh, and you know, it, it's like I think the the 
the biggest surprise that we said was at the very beginning. I can't believe we're already halfway through or about to be halfway through this season. We are almost to the all-star break. And uh, I love talking NBA with you. You and I could sit here and go for what we've done before, two plus hours <laughs> when we're talking NBA. Uh, this time was a little quicker. We were able to bounce around the league, talk some wolves and everything going on. Dave, give the folks out there your plugs. And uh, I'm excited. You know, we're getting closer and closer to Canterbury. So hopefully we'll be uh, talking with you a lot more once uh, Canterbury comes up. Yeah, we got Canterbury Preakness Weekend, I believe. Normal Preakness Weekend. Uh, but yeah, at Superstats Dave is my handle. And love interacting with people, good and bad, and chatting kind of everything from golf to... I like Tiger had an accident this morning. I know, I'm just reading about Tiger had a car I, accident. I didn't know if I was going to wait to say that until after we were done here, but yeah, yeah. Looks like hopefully, hopefully Tiger, everything's everything's good. We know uh, last time with that car accident it was <laughs> quite the yeah, quite everything. But you know, I think they said I they saw a picture the... of it here, and car, car is not in good shape. They said they had to get the jaws of life to get it out. So yeah. uh, never a dull moment in the world of of sports. And like you said the All Star teams will be announced shortly, and uh, Minnesota's got a new coach coming in. So. Um, ne- yeah, never, never a quiet moment for us sports fans, Dave. Always a bunch going on, and I uh, really appreciate all your time. You, you do such a great job over there with the T Wolves, and uh, you're you're just such a great, knowledgeable mind to talk about when it comes to uh, basketball, as we did here, but really with all sports. Thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate your time. All right, thanks, Shino. Have a good one, everybody. Dave Handel in there, folks. We'll, uh, we'll have him back again in a, in a few weeks to talk more uh, NBA, and uh, we'll start getting into some racing, too. Don't go anywhere, folks. Plenty more on That's What G Said. Appreciate Dave coming on, talking some NBA with us. As you, you can tell, he knows his stuff when it comes to talking about the National Basketball Association. We can bounce all around, and uh, he's been able to watch a lot of these teams uh, when they play Minnesota, when Minnesota goes on the road to play them. So, Dave, give him a follow. Um, we'll talk a lot about Canterbury with Dave when those Canterbury races start up in a few months. I'm going to talk a little bit about Sarah Candles right now. C-E-R-A Candles.com is the website. The goal of this company was to create a candle 100% natural and clean burning, the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. Let's give you some of the reasons why these candles are unique and why they are the best. All-natural soy wax, free from toxins that's found in paraffin wax. Paraffin wax is used by a lot of the other leading brands. These all-natural soy wax candles will actually hold your scent better and burn up to 50% longer than the traditional paraffin wax candle. 100% lead-free cotton wicks, completely natural scents. They're made in micro-batches, hand-poured to ensure the highest quality. 100% locally sourced and handcrafted in the USA. We've got 25-plus different scents. They're always changing, adding new seasonal scents. They're available in three different sizes. These are fragrance oils infused with natural essential oils. Top ingredients, quality packaging, affordable pricing, longer burning, none of those toxins, none of those carcinogens, none of those pollutants that are present in paraffin wax. They give you instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean and ensure the perfect burn. Created by people who love candles. They started out experimenting, trying to create the perfect candle, and now they've blossomed into Sarah Candle Company. Through their research, they were able to discover the benefits of that all-natural soy wax. This is a great gift for someone, or maybe if you're just a candle person and you're listening to this, give these ones a try. I promise you, they're going to be better for you. They're going to be more valuable because they'll burn longer, healthier. And if you use that promo code GINO, you get 10% 
off your purchase. Promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off your purchase. Big week at Sam Houston. We welcome in Martha Clausen to help us out. Martha does the press releases over there for the big days. She has worked at so many different tracks and has helped to um, get out the information about their big days and also do interviews post-race. So she'll help set us up for the week. And then we talk about everything going on on Saturday at Sam Houston. We do a little preview of their five stakes races, which go uh, in races 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Let you know some of these who they've been named after and then who uh, the headliners are in this year's stakes Martha Clausen there was a little bit of um a, a couple times where it was cutting out a bit but I, I did my best to try to uh, uh clean up the audio the best that I can uh the cell service right now in in Texas is not great uh, because of a lot of the, the stuff that happened last week. So we were on Skype. I did. Um, m- there wasn't anything too bad that got cut out, but there were a few spots where it sort of gets a little fuzzy. Um, but uh, it always comes back uh, strong, and we and we finish out uh, and get you all the information that we need to set you up for this week at Sam Houston. Crazy weather rocked the U.S. last week, and many racetracks had to cancel, and more importantly. Many folks were hunkered in the, in their homes without power, freezing conditions, some with no water. And one of those areas that got hit really, really hard was, was Houston, Texas. And our friends over at Sam Houston, it was going to be a big week of racing last week. Uh, but because of safety and because there was no power, they had to cancel racing all week long. Don't worry. We've got plenty of action for you this week with four days of racing. 46 total races, 12, 12, 10, and 12 on the Wednesday through Saturday schedule. We've got uh, five stakes races that are going to be on Saturday night. We've actually got two graded stakes races for Arabians also. And to join us to set the scene for the week is Martha Clausen. First, Martha, thank you again for joining us. How are you doing over there? Well, uh, you know, I I guess we're going to say we have learned to be resilient. I mean, I've dealt... I, I'm from Buffalo, New York, originally, so maybe I shouldn't have been upset by the sub-freezing weather, but I sure didn't like it. If I <laughs> liked it, I would have stayed in Buffalo, okay? <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I've been through three hurricanes, but I'm going to tell you, this was this was really bad. Uh, just because nobody was prepared, you know? So, you know, being without power for three days in sub-freezing weather, no water pressure. I mean, we, my husband and I were very fortunate because at least we didn't have any pipes break, but that's not, we were, we were the exception rather than the norm. Uh, the plumbers are busy, busy, busy. That's a good industry to be in in texas right now but we're digging out and the wonderful news racing back on track 70 degrees today sunny so it's a crazy situation this this part of the country but uh you know at least we have a really you know lot to look forward to at sam houston race park and because of uh, some of the racing days canceled last week, we have huge cards with 12 races, 12 races, 10 races, and 12 races. Some of these cards, we have multiple pick sixes. We have uh, the multiple pick fives. Um, and the, the day that we're going to be talking about in particular is on Saturday, where there are 12 races on the card. Races 3 through 12 are thoroughbred races, but races 1 and 2 are actually, if you're a fan of the Arabian races, they are top of the line graded stakes, grade 3 Arabian races in race 1 and 2. So that just adds to the big night. Yeah, and and very important for your uh, listeners to know is that we are 
we've got an early post time on Saturday, 540. So a little, you know, so uh, that's good because otherwise we'd be running way after midnight <laughs> way <on> late. Saturday. <laughs> but it's going to be a, a very, very exciting night, Saturday night. You know, our handle numbers, Gino, and I know you followed this thing. Yeah, they've been so good. And so you hate to have anything derail the momentum and people are following us. They love like our, you know, our, our football person take out a multi way. People are really, you know, happy with what we are you know. The numbers have been great. The wagering product has been great. And just like you said, we're going to make sure that everybody knows uh, the times, the post times, because we, you see, don't want to, you want to keep your fingers crossed and just knock on wood when things are going so well. You don't want to have anything change. And we had a, a hiccup now with a, a week off, but. We'll we'll be back and ready to rock Wednesday through Saturday this week at Sam Houston. And uh, the Saturday night races in particular are really fun, Martha, because they celebrate the Texas bread and uh, and some of the, the Texas sires and some of the horses that are standing in Texas. So we've got stakes races from the 6th through the 10th. That are very rich in in Texas bred history. Uh, in particular, the one that we start out with with the two Altizano. It's actually named for a Texas bred who was a nine time winner who earned over seven hundred thousand. Won the Grade One Coaching Club America Oaks. Was a multiple graded stakes winner. Won the Sam Houston Oaks. That's a really cool Texas bred. Yeah, it was really it was really cool. I wasn't at Sam Houston in two thousand uh, in nineteen ninety four when it opened, but the inaugural Sam Houston Oaks we actually had Pat Day in, and who you know won the race, but two Altizano. Uh, so it's pretty exciting when you look at the history. The Texas Thoroughbred Association has named a lot of these stakes to honor these great Texas breads uh, that sometimes don't get the national attention. They deserve. So the two Altazanos will kick us off. We've got um, a nice field of fillies, including uh, a really, really nice, uh, nice filly by the name of Star of the North, who um, and she's interesting because her sire is called the Hunk. And this is his first drop. When I first saw it, I said the Hunk. Then obviously first, first. So uh, I thought it'd be interesting to can one a hundred race the debutante up there and then came down did a lot of training at sam houston and was super impressive so she's going to be the morning line favorite but really nice horse in this field as well yeah and what's cool is she's actually a minnesota bred but she's the daughter of the hunk who stands in texas so you don't see like- <laughs> that all all too much in some of these uh um you know in these like state bred or state sort of programs but she fits nicely in here because of that and she's going to be really tough in that sixth race which is uh named for a really nice texas bread the the seventh is the second stakes on the uh, for the thoroughbreds on the card it's the mm-hmm. miss blue bonnet is that the name of like a pageant uh in the area <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Blue Bonnet, you're so funny. <laughs> well, no, hey, let me tell you, I'm the wrong person to be asking about beauty. <laughs> but I, I enjoy the topic. Uh, no, the Blue Bonnet is the, is the flower, the, the, the official okay. flower of Texas. Dang so, <laughs> Gino, you've been watching too much of uh, Dumpling no, <laughs> on Netflix, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we've got six of the field in here who have $100,000 in earnings. You've got a lukewarm morning line favorite of Cor Luna, who's a multiple stakes winner. Um, there are some 
some nice animals in here. Corluna, I'm a discreet lady. She's our fastest. Were some of the ones that you mentioned yeah. in your press release. Yeah, but it's a nice. Obviously, we know you know uh, Baffert and everything, but Sarah Delaney is one of the ladies. Such a hands-on horsewoman. She loves these horses. Luna is her her pride and but anyway, Luna was shipped and a little cut and had to be off for a couple months. So you know, Sarah's super excited about bringing her back, and you know, just you know, she thinks that she'll she'll have a good outing. I'm a discreet lady. We always talk about Carl Broberg as the king of claiming, but this is a multiple stakes um, winning uh, mayor that he actually bought at the sale, and he's had her all along. Uh, so it'll ought to be interesting. Right, Eckleberry. Oh boy, I mean, he came in first to. Delta this year when things were going a little bit haywire in New Mexico and he was really doing well and then Broberg calls him up says come to Sam Houston I'll put you on a whole bunch of horses and he's had a good meet so I like the idea I like her um, you know she's coming from the rail she's our fastest uh, is, a, is a pretty strong earner she she just ran in our you know Scott Gellner decided to test her in the very against Latruska yeah. <laughs> in our ladies classic and she finished last but he said you know she came out of the race fine and now she's back with state breads, so he's looking for a good effort from her. Uh, so I think it's going to be good. The only thing is, ugh, we are slated to have a little bit of rain. I don't think it's going to take it off the turf, but we'll have to keep an eye on it. Gino, we may be looking for horses that prefer. Yeah, conditions prefer this uh, softer turf, but I don't think we're going to take it off the turf. Good information there. Um, the eighth race is the H-Town. We have one of the better Texas breads still in training, the 2018 TTA Horse of the Year, Direct Dial, who has earned over $380,000. Um, he it was the 2018 Jim's Orbit Stakes winner. He's won okay. at all three Texas tracks. This is a really cool mm-hmm. Texas bread. Well, you know, I tell you what, he is cool and he's gorgeous. I don't know, you know, us women, we love the grays and he's a beautiful, <laughs> majestic, gorgeous, gorgeous horse. But the other day, you know, I do the advances for Sam Houston and I get a chance to catch up with some of the trainers. And Steve Asmussen, he's always so gracious to talk to me. And I said to him, you know, what, what you know, what, what's so special about um, direct dial? I mean, the horse has just been going on and on for years. And he said, well, first of all, he's a William Farish homebred. And, you know, we respect wow. uh, Will Farish so much. Uh, he said, second of all, this horse just keeps going. And every year he always, you know, proves himself at some level. And third of all, he's got a it's a pretty horse. Yes, he's important. Say that about your horses. Yes, I will. You know, so he loves this horse, and um, he always seems to run well at Sam Houston. You know, he's you know, it's it's always fun to watch him. A couple horses cross entered in that. Uh, Can I Bob, who was real impressive, um, a couple weeks ago, I think the end of January, but he's cross entered in the H Town and the Houston Turf. We'll see what happens with him. Uh, Brett Calhoun, oh my gosh, you always want to keep an eye on him on these Texas bread yeah. nights. A gold pilot who who won last year. He won the Jim's Orbit last year. He's a really good horse, but this year hasn't been so good. He's coming off a layoff, but Brett's really good about uh, getting him ready. A lot of the trainers told me, Gino, that unfortunately they wanted to get a prep in, but a lot of the races came off the turf you mm-hmm. know, last month, so a lot of these horses are coming in without the preps that they would prefer if Mother Nature had cooperated a little bit more. There's but I a- do have one long shot in this thank race, you i was just I- gonna ask you about go ahead <laughs> well you know there's a lot of horses on paper that really think but morning line 15 to 1 is algebra 
Now, I'll tell you what, this horse won his last two. It was an allowance level for Danny Pish and, and Lane Luzzy, who we adore down here. Lane Luzzy is a hard, you know, the son of Mike Luzzy, the New York-based rider. He's really talented. Lane's real talented. He's so humble. He works so hard. He loves the game. I mean, he's just a ray of sunshine for all of us who work with him. But, you know, they've won two in a row. And, and Danny Pish is a cool guy. If you look back at the history of all these Texas champions-type races, he always wins some of them, and usually with a big prize. And he, I remember one time in one of our post post race interviews, said to him, "What you know? What what did you make of this?" And he said, "You know, you can always count on one horse stepping up big time when he's running these type of races." And so this, to me, would be a horse that could um, step up eighteen to one morning. Definitely a, a horse that we're going to be throwing in on some of our pick five, pick six tickets. However, we're approaching the uh, Sam Houston Saturday night races there. So we move to the Houston turf, and we've got the 2020 TTA Horse of the Year here. Last year's Houston turf winner, Redditori, a seven-time stakes winner. But Redditori, not the morning line favorite in this race. The very sharp Sunlit Song, who was third last year but ended up winning two stakes in 2020, will be the morning line favorite. Yeah, I mean, you can't really argue about that because although Alan Dupey, who's the trainer of Redditory, did say that the, his comeback race here or Edmonton Park, uh, so you never want to discount Redditory. God, he loves the turf and he's so good. And Dupey, you know, he's real hands-on with him. He was one of our original riders uh, when Sam Houston first opened and we had our jockey colony, a lot of good guys and uh, now he's been training for over a decade. But Doopy is—he's a great guy. He loves this horse. A funny story about Doopy and uh, Steve Bork. When I first started doing publicity at Sam Houston, I didn't know a whole lot of these Cajun guys, and they talk really fast, and I couldn't understand a word. <laughs> no they clue said. what they're saying. <laughs> And I couldn't understand it. Steve Bork was worse than Doopy. And I, I would say, I would say to some of my uh, friends, Willie Hickman in the racing office, I said, "Can you translate for me?" <laughs> but, but Doopy, I'm serious. But Doopy, now that he's a trainer, he's gotten much more articulate. He's really, really a good guy. Last year when he won this, James, uh, Mr. Wessel, who owns the horse bread and owns Redditory, uh, he actually used to ride for Mr. Wessel. And last year it was Deshaun Parker who um, had the mount. And I kind of put uh, <laughs> Mr. Wessels on, on uh, a little bit of a tilt because I said to him, hey, how would you compare Doopy and uh, Deshaun Parker's riders? And he said, I don't remember that far back. <laughs> 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 but he's this... a good horse. Now, Sunlit Song, as you mentioned, oh, my gosh, really, really into uh, incredible form. Uh, Mindy Willis, oh, boy, she, she's another hands-on horsewoman, loves this six-year-old gelding, and is very proud of what he's accomplished. Uh, one that Remington Green, which, Beating you know, open. Remington's tough at yeah. big eyes. And uh, she was not surprised. She said, you know, he's talented. He's getting better and better. It's kind of cool with the older horses. You know, sometimes you wonder if they're peaking and when they or if they peaked already. And when they consider, continue to make those accomplishments, it's such a thrill for their connection. Sunlit Song, very versatile to beat open company, can sit close or can pass horses. Is what uh, the connections have said that they just know that this is a really, really nice animal. And we'll, we'll get to see a couple good Texas Reds in that ninth, the Houston Turf. 
And then the tenth, the Jim's Orbit. Um, what a what another really cool Texas bred that this race is named after. He was a five time winner. He earned six hundred thousand. He won the Grade Three Derby trial, the Grade Two Ohio Derby. He was Grade One placed. He actually ran in the Kentucky Derby. So uh, when you talk about Texas breads, he's definitely on the list of the all time greats. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it kind of gives you the chills when you think about the history of racing and, uh, you know, and how we can look back on it as we look forward to some of these rising stars in Texas. So it's going to be a super good race. And Carbon Striker, uh, interesting. My my buddy Carl Broberg, he was a little cranky when I talked to him. <laughs> he didn't <laughs> like the rail. Last time. <laughs> Yeah, Ernesto Valdez Jimenez just gave him his head and let him go and he did it easily gate to wire well now he drew the rail now you know we don't have control no horseman no person has control <laughs> of the draw the draw is the draw so I said you know my feeling is as as fit as he was as comp you know, comfortably and confidently that he won it, would there be a problem? And Carl said, I'm not thrilled about the rail. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, well, you know, and I said, you know, he hopes he breaks clean. Well, you know, I think uh, Ernesto Valdez Jimenez knows how to ride the horse. He's going to send him to the lead and we'll see what happens. The, the horses to watch, you know, Brett Calhoun, Oh, he's awfully good with these horses. And Doug Sharborough, who's um, Clarence Sharborough's, uh, oh gosh, I want to say son or grandson, one of the two probably son but um you know he's a big supporter of texas racing and entrusts brett with a lot of his horses and a couple of these horses uh, are coming back the ones that ran in the my dandy you know the what the the horse excuse me the race that carbon striker won they're gonna run a little bit better i mean stone yeah. cafe was rallying for second um and uh so i wouldn't discount him but Brett really seems to think he can't figure out what happened to Dustin. He just he was wasn't. favored last time. Yeah. Yeah. He he was, and he should have been, you know, pedigree and everything. But he mm-hmm. said, you know, it was weird. He watched him. He said he's he I don't know how to explain it. He he literally stood in the gate. He didn't want to do anything. And he said, but he's training well. So we'll see. And then he had a couple runner-ups in that race. Ask Musin finished sixth with Island Sun. So, you know, this is probably a teeny bit more wide open than maybe the two Altizano. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the Calhoun runners steps up in that final um, of the uh, Texas preview races Saturday night. Five stakes races on the Texas preview night on Saturday night. And Martha, this is just obviously it's the preview night. It's the preview night for uh, for next month where these a lot of these same foes will come back and run for even bigger money. Yeah. You know, the purses have gone up. I mean, these races used to be thirty five, forty thousand. Yeah. You know, the preview is a seventy five. But um, the Texas Champions card, and it'll have seven races, Gino, and they're all going to be 100000 And it's really neat that this has come to, you know, together because, you know, years ago, there was a lot of Texas horsemen that didn't know. I mean, here we are surrounded in Texas. We've got Oklahoma, New Mexico, Louisiana, and they all have um, additional purse money from gaming. And we have no gaming money in Texas because our legislators don't want to approve it. Not only that, but uh, they don't even want sports uh, wagering in Texas. That just Uh. got thrown out of the window. But, um, you know, it's really nice to reward these people. So many of them have been loyal for years and years and years to have purses like this and showcase uh, some of the exceptional horses that are uh, bred in Texas. It means a lot to us. This is going to be a great week out at Sam Houston uh, with, you know, racing Wednesday through Saturday, and it's all going to lead up to Saturday night, the big preview night for uh, the, the Texas, really for the state of Texas, because as you said, um, it, Texas isn't necessarily dealing with the same 
hand that a lot of other uh, jurisdictions around them are that that maybe benefit some of those jurisdictions a little bit more. But Texas and what have what they have done for racing in the last just a couple of years, um, putting more money into the the purse structure and bringing in big fields all over the place, quality racing and the the per, like the the fans and the betters. They love it, Martha. Everyone that I talk to loves playing the Sam Houston races, and we're so happy to see the the money keep pouring in, and that the purses are going to keep going up. And we, as fans, like me, me in particular, I'm really grateful for what Texas has done because you know we we like to complain as betters about this and that and this, but Texas, everything that we complain about, they try to to listen and to make adjustments that are that are going to be fan friendly and better friendly and it all starts with that takeout you know which is the the big kind of a rallying um you know point of of hey look we're going to give you lower takeout on everything not just like a pick 5 and i mean we love the track we're going to be watching and playing every day and i know a lot of the the listeners of that's what G said really appreciate when you come on and can help set everything up so nicely for us well, I, I have to commend you, Gino, because you're so enthusiastic and you've done all your homework and you really, you know, you're a great ambassador for our sport and you're positive. And, um, you know, it's important because when you work really hard in this industry and you see that you're kind of pushing the boulder uphill in many ways, yes. it's just nice to say, you know what, there's still people that really care about what we're accomplishing at Sam Houston, at tracks across the country. We look forward to these, you know, to these horses, not only in their racing career, but taking care of them afterwards. Words. There's good people in this sport, and we just have to stick together and bolster our spirits. <laughs> so, will you be out there this week doing the uh, the on track interviews after the stakes, like uh, last time? Yes, I will. I'm very, very excited about it. I always, always love to catch up with the connections. I mean, it's going to be hard. You know, I'll tell you what. <laughs> some of the uh, crazy things that we've had in our uh, Houston uh, it was so crazy. You know, we've had some unbelievable races. Um, especially if the owners and breeders are out there to see what their horses accomplish. So I will be there Saturday. We'll bring bringing you all the action, uh, of course, with my buddy Chris Griffith and all the other hand their input. I hope we can really produce a great program for oil racing fans. Well, we are really excited for another big week at Sam Houston. Please tell Chris and uh, and Frank and everyone out there, I said hello, and uh, they're doing just such a fantastic job. Anything that they need from me, you just let me know. Martha, thank you so much. We can't wait to see you out there this week uh, previewing and then uh, hearing all, all your post-race interviews with the Connections and reading your great press release write-ups. I really appreciate all the time in, uh, that you've given us here on That's What She Said. My pleasure, Gino. We'll schedule another date before Texas Champions Day. Okay? That sounds perfect. Absolutely. Martha Clausen, thank you so much. Uh, have a great week, Martha. My pleasure. Thanks. Don't go anywhere, folks. We have plenty more to discuss about Sam Houston and their big week coming up. Stay tuned. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. 
one click to bet now and DRF bets, get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com great talking with martha we look forward to the big week at sam houston and we'll definitely bring her back again in a few weeks to preview um the uh the next huge sam houston stakes day let's get into the racing for this week we let's first talk about stable duel what the schedule is like and then we'll get into some specific tracks so uh wednesday february the 24th stable duel has so many options for uh your you know, your playing pleasure. So what is Stable Duel again? You've heard us talk a lot about it. It's the daily horse racing contest where you download the app for free and you can play and enter in all these different contests, big contests, small contests. They have free contests, ones that are as little as a dollar all the way up to 100 150 sometimes $200 to enter into the bigger ones. You play against a bunch of different people. There are always prize payouts to the top you know, 15, 20. Sometimes it's a winner-take-all contest. Sometimes it's a top three payout. Sometimes it pays the top half. All different sorts of contest uh, formats that you can uh, look into, or if you have a question about one of them, feel free to ask me. And they're just giving you more and more options now each week. So Wednesday. This week's big, every week there's like a big, contest on the weekend that's the focus this one it's the fountain of youth fortune that's on saturday for 150 dollar entry fee there are twenty-five thousand dollars in cash prizes paid out to the top finishers you have different contests throughout the week where you can qualify or you can just pay the 150 on saturday to get into that fountain of youth contest and hey we're going to talk about the fountain of youth saturday contest right here Fountain of Youth Fortune, and we'll have two different people going through the Saturday card with us. Barry Spears and Craig Milkowski are going to help us out talk Saturday Golfstream on the next episode of That's What G Said. So Wednesday, there's a Golfstream Park $100 double up where the winner gets a free buy-in into the Fountain of Youth. There's a Golfstream $10 contest. There's a Parks contest for a dollar. There's a Tampa contest for five, a Penn National $5 10 times booster. And on Thursday, another contest where 
The winner gets a free buy-in to the Fountain of Youth. That's the $100 Gulfstream Top 3. Winner also gets the, the free entry into the Fountain of Youth Fortune Saturday contest. The Gulfstream contest on Thursday, you can also play one for 5 bucks. You can play at Laurel for 10 Sam Houston for 2 free ride at Golden Gate. Friday, you've got Gulfstream, two different options for 25 or for 100 and then the winner gets into the Fountain of Youth Fortune in that Gulfstream park. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there are ways where you can win a contest, win money, and also get a free entry into the Saturday big contest for Gulfstream. Don't forget about Friday's opportunity at Laurel Park. It's a free ride. You can also play at Tampa or at Golden Gate. Santa Anita has two different options for you on Friday. And then the Saturday big one, Fountain of Youth Fortune, 150 entry fee, $25,000 in prizes. You can play in a smaller $10 contest. You can play in the Tampa Bay free ride or at Santa Anita in a $25 contest. Then closing the week out on Sunday, you can play at Gulfstream for a 25 in a top 10 contest. Tampa has a $5 contest. Laurel has a $10 contest. Santa Anita has a $100 triple up. They also have a $7 game. And Golden Gate has a free ride. So all week long, look at all the different options you got. Gulfstream, Parks, Tampa, Penn National, Laurel Park, Sam Houston, Golden Gate, Santa Anita, you name it. They've got it. Contests for uh, free rides, as little as a dollar or two, all the way up to the, the Saturday $150 Fountain of Youth Fortune. So... Some of these contests will begin on Wednesday at Gulfstream Park. Let's talk about a couple of the horses that we're looking at that we will be using at Gulfstream Park on Wednesday. Get your past performances out. We're talking about February the 24th, and I'm going to move at Gulfstream. I'm going to go to race number three for uh, the first horse I'm looking at. Five for a long turf event, uh, maiden $25,000 claimers, fillies and mares. Put the six into candy who had a fine start, was third, was a couple lengths off, loomed up to second within a half length before fading. That was against open maiden special weights on the dirt going six and a half furlongs. The third place finisher out of that race came back to win a maiden special next out. I like the way she moved into contention. Now she drops, she tries the turf, and I just don't think there's that anyone in this race to be scared of. The number six into candy in race number three at Gulfstream Park will use in all exotics. Let's get you to race number six at Gulfstream Park. Um, just a horse that maybe uh, to throw into some of your exotics, whatever you're playing in this particular race. I don't know if I'll be be playing a win wager on the number eight, Cowboy at Heart, who does have a couple turf-winning sibs and will make her uh, his career debut. He's just a little bit sneaky here for a barn who knows how to win first out and has flashed a little bit of ability in the morning on a small work tab. The number eight, Cowboy at Heart, looks a bit sneaky. Throw the eight into your exotics in race number six there at Gulfstream. In race number seven at Gulfstream Park, I'm looking at the two, Nicole Princess, who debuted and won uh, back in December. And then in career start number two, she faced $20,000 claimers. And she was in the two paths. She was in between horses. She was close up, but she got shuffled in between. She came on again in between horses. There was nowhere to go. She got an opening, and she moved to the lead. And she just got beat right on the wire. That was going six furlongs against 20 claimers. She had trouble. She should have won that day. Now she steps up. She's lightly raced. I wouldn't be shocked if she ends up being right on the lead in here or pretty close to it from the inside should be forwardly placed with massive upside in here 
for a horse who I think because she didn't doesn't have a, a, her figures and her number her speed figures aren't, aren't quite as high as a few of the others in here. She may be forgotten about a little bit, but she's got some ability. The number two, Nicole Princess. Let's move along to race number 10. It's going to be the fourth and final play for Gulfstream Park on Wednesday. And I'm looking at the number five in here, uh, Kasim. Kasim was claimed out of the debut when he was a runner-up by Maker and since then has won back-to-back. And it's just a, a like a running style thing for him where you look at the this field with a couple other speed horses in here. The fact that he's... Got the positional speed and the versatility to just end up, you know, putting himself in a nice spot, maybe two or three lengths behind. Uh, I think Kasim is the one that the, this is the horse who this race goes through, the one they'll all have to beat. I would, I might even single this horse in some late exotics. Anything over like, you know, five to two is worthy of a win wager there on the number five to close things out. So the horses I'm looking at for Gulfstream on Wednesday in the third, the number six, Into Candy. In the sixth, the number eight, Cowboy at Heart. The seventh, the number two, Nicole Princess. And in the tenth, the number five, Kasim. Let's bounce on over to Sam Houston for Wednesday, February the 24th. I'm going to try to get through these quick because we got 12 races on Wednesday and 12 races on Thursday at Sam Houston. You actually can play two different pick sixes at Sam Houston. So starting on Wednesday, past performances out February the 24th. We're looking at the uh, the opener mile and 70 yards. We've got 5,000 claimers, non-winners of two since August the 24th. I'm leaning towards the seven blue bomber who looks like the one to catch on the drop from open. Gets away from ship stalker over a Delta and the conditions fits the conditions very, very nicely. Blue bomber here who, uh, I I just think is going to be pretty tough to run down. I'll use everywhere with the five flash forecast. Who is the one to hold off? I have them on top of the four hardly seen slim. Who's very consistent. And also the, uh, the number eight, if you're going a little bit deeper, Tyler's Tex, second time, Sam Houston, who was chasing lone speed last out. So I've got seven, five as my top two, uh, on bigger tickets. I will end up using the four and the eight, uh, also some other spots. Let's move along to race number two, Maiden Special Weights Open, uh, mile and a 16th on the turf course here. I love the nine in this spot, Cobla Moss as the chalky single um, early on. I do think the nine just is an absolute standout here. You're not going to get rich on Cobla Moss, but you may be able to single in some sort of uh, exotics. If you don't want to use Cobla Moss and maybe you want to try to beat this horse or go elsewhere, no knocks on what Dinah Strike did in his turf debut. He was taken way back to like 11th of 12. He made up a ton of ground though in the stretch and just missed second. Helio Chrome, who gets Lasix for the first time, will take a ton of money. I'd imagine with that big speed, he's going to be forwardly placed and in the mix. And then the eight Stasis was another one who I would look to. So look at his his races, his last two races. Uh, two back, he was fifth, and he was only beaten a, a length and a quarter. And he actually raced really, really well that day. Last time out, he finished third behind Excess Magic and Holy Vow. Holy Vow was the horse who ended up beating um, a, a lot of these rivals uh, on January the 31st. Excess Magic has uh, come back to finish second in the Texas Turf Mile right behind Palazzi. Palazzi is the horse who beat Kobla Moss. So you see like a, a lot of common... Uh, Rivals and uh, a lot of commonalities uh, in the horses drawn towards the outside. 
I didn't love Declaration of Speed's effort last time out. I expected a, a little bit more with the kind of trip that he got. So nine with a four six eight in race number two at Sam Houston. We move to the third five thousand dollar beaten claimers five furlongs the distance. The two I'm going to use as my my top two are the eight and the ten. Taruka the eight broke well sat three deep got outrun but was. You know, ended up in great position and just was really never asked, never really went on with it. And that was on the the slop last time out. Sometimes the horses just don't take to it with the weather like that, and you can make a legitimate excuse. She was only uh, he was only five to two that day against seventy five hundred dollar open claimers, and now drops again in a much softer spot. I think the eight Taruka drops, cuts back, might be able to just fall into a really nice uh, nice position. And, uh, and get a piece of it, and I think, I mean, obviously his best races could win this, we just don't know if he still has uh, any of that in him, but, but you know, three back, he's fine and competitive against 15 claimers on the turf, the, the muddy excuse last time out, and then just facing tougher two starts back, like, you can make legitimate excuses for him, and he should be a very fair price to Ruka, the number 10, Cat second silver, just off that runner-up effort last time out behind the sharp, shifty Henry, he is an obvious contender, um, so I have 8-10 on top, and then the number 9, Shot Soft, who was right behind Cat Second Silver last time out. The number 5, Go Crow. If you're looking for a price horse to throw into the mix, he would be capable going 5 furlongs against this type of a group on his better days. The number 6, Top Brass, uh, would be another that wouldn't be a shock you could make an excuse for last time out on an off-race track. And if you're playing off of the 2-back effort, Top Brass makes a lot of sense in here. 8-10 with 6 Nine five, so eight ten is my top tier with Taruka on uh, as my top selection in the fourth race. Twenty five non fours, five and a half furlongs the distance. I like the one electoral who comes in from Golden Gate for Jonathan Wong, who's proven himself on the the dirt. Uh, this particular horse, I just don't love the draw. If he was draw more drawn more towards the outside, I'd really like him. It doesn't concern me as much because of his running style. I think he's just going to drop back and try to make one late run. And that's got to be the game plan for him. Trying to run down a horse like the four, Tumbling Sky, who's going to go second off the bench. Just won at Oaklawn against 20 non-threes and really does look like the one to catch. There is not a ton of other legitimate sprint speed in this field. So one, four on top of... The two Moro set ready, who I think can sit a really nice trip, just kind of saving ground towards the inside. The three South Gate for coming into the Lucarelli barn wouldn't be a shock. And then the seven Good Scout, who should sit nicely from out there, has some speed, but can also just kind of stalk and, and should probably be stalking, cutting back from six and a half to five and a half. One, four, top tier, two, three, seven in the next grouping for me. Uh, the number one in race number five. At Sam Houston, Urge was a really good second last time out. No excuses. She was chasing lone speed. She was just second best that day. She needs a little bit of help trying to have uh, someone, you know, soften up anyone who goes to the lead. But I I think she's going to continue to improve and continue to step forward. The number eight, Star Strike, is the one to catch on the drop in class. So one and eight are my top two. Um, As on tickets where I'm going a little deeper, I'll use the nine, Sweet Capri who is now going to be first-time Broberg on the drop. I'm treating like a wild card for the nine, Sweet Capri. The number 10, Euro Tigre, who has at least some positional speed and should be able to 
be in the mix early on. And, and a lot of times in a race like this that's not the strongest in the world, that's enough. And then number 12, Texas Mama. You got to imagine that from outside, they're just going to try to send really hard for her from her and uh, get her into a nice spot from out there. So I have 1-8 as top tier with 9-10-12 in race number 5 at Sam Houston. Moving to the 6th, mile and a 16th on the turf course. I'm going to the 1, Brandon's Babe. Chalky single in here. Uh, the 3, Whoppy. Did uh, have some trouble last time out Was traveling well on the inside She was about 5 lengths off Nowhere to go in the 3rd flight Inside traffic So really not too bad at all from her And uh, the number 6 Holy Creed Would be the other one Coming off the back-to-back runner-up efforts Behind Good Flight Those are the 3 that I'll be using in here Brandon's Babe The 1 with uh, the 3 and the 6 Let's move to the 7th race This is the start of the next pick 6 So if you want to play a second pick 6 You can do so right here Millwood you'll probably want to use on all those tickets Who is looking for his 3rd in a row now On the claim back for Broberg I like the 5 in here though quite a bit Bandit Swanson who's going to be my top selection On January the 29th He hadn't run in a few months And he was towards the back of the pack He was ninth, about you know, seven, eight lengths off of it inside. He angled outside and then moved wide. He was, you know, still behind horses. Um, in the two path, he got a little bit of room and he ended up really, really showing something up the rail, just missed, beaten up, just a neck that day, took the lead late, but got nailed by a Metro pool who's very sharp right now. The number five, Bandit Swanson goes back to the dirt, but he's been fine on both surfaces. I, I think he has a major opportunity here with uh, that little race under his belt to be just a little sharper today. 5-1 for me in race number seven in all the exotics. I really like the five quite a bit. I'll make a win wager if we can get like, anything around five, you know, seven to two. Five to one would be what I'd love, but I had like three to one as my uh, as my limit. In the 8th race, start of the late pick 5 mile on the turf course, 10 claimers there. The 3, Kona Katie at a big price. Coming off of a couple really nice efforts against much cheaper on the main track. But back to the turf, look at the last string of races that she had on the grass. They were not bad at all. On the bottom of the page, you see that she beat a 10,000, open 10,000 claiming group last year here at Sam Houston in March. She's won three times over this turf course for very solid connections for Danny Pish and Luzzy. And I have to imagine that you're going to have this mare more forwardly placed coming out of the races that she's coming out of where she was sitting really nice. Three-time winner over this turf course. She proves she can go long on the main, so I have no reason to doubt that she can do it on the turf course. The bomb of the number three, Kona Katie. Make sure to use her in your exotics. We'll include the number seven, B-Bit, and the number five, Little Code, along with Katie. Um, Little Code coming in from Fairgrounds, Face Tougher, and B-Bit who was a, a nice winner last time out, an obvious logical contender. Don't have to really talk you into that one. Just leave. If you wanted to go a little bit deeper, I feel like she might have the ability to improve with that recent race under her belt. 3-7-5, and then on deeper tickets, we'll use the number 4. Let's move to the ninth race here. This, to me, was the most confusing race. Uh, it's $7,500 claimers. They're going to go a mile. I don't really love the one rock in a hard place. I don't really love the six Spanish Ombre who comes out of a, a thousand yard race over at Los Alamitos last time out and is now going to try to go a mile. But, you know, three back, one at a mile on the turf at Golden Gate against 62 claimers, and then two back was a runner up. 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, and, and when I feel that way about a favorite, I generally play against them. Um, so I, I, you know, Spanish Ombre, while he makes a ton of sense, he probably won't be on most of my rolling exotic tickets. The horses who I'm kind of, the, I guess, the most intrigued by in here would be the four, Stevens Answer, who's got speed and has, you know, coming, is dropping faced Froster Frippery, who has won eight of his last 10, and Hunk of Burning Love, who had a monster 2020. So those are two much tougher races for Stevens Answer. Uh, I will. I'll throw him into a lot. Zanucci off of the nice win at 7,500 uh, in the slop on February the 12th. We'll wheel back sort of quickly in just a few weeks here. Uh, I'll use the five in all exotics. And the eight, Wave Runner, who I think you can just put a line through the turf race last time out and, you know, key off the two back $7,500 beaten win at Remington. Got some speed from the outside. So four, five, and eight, I will have in all spots here. And it, you know, it depends on what you want to do with, uh, you know, with rock in a hard place with Spanish ombre. I, I even can make a little bit of a case for satellite two back open winner at 7,500. Excuse the last time out, uh, just a, a really bad effort, but the, the race was a, a tougher group. No doubt about it. Four, five, eight for me everywhere. Major question marks on what to do with the favorites here. And anytime we have questions uh, about the short price horses, we're probably better off not using them. Let's move to the 10th race. This is Texas Bread Maiden 5000. So uh, one of the lower levels here. I thought the seven theorist blinkers off, second off, cuts back. First off the claim for Broberg. You get Rye jumping aboard. This guy had a really wide trip. Last time out, he was 3-4 wide all the way around the racetrack. I think there are some reasons to uh, include Theorist in all of your exotics. Number 8, clear advantage. If they go quick early, he should have a great, great trip off the pace and trying to pick him up late. The number 6, Wildcats Bling, has this type of speed to clear this field. The June race at Lone Star was very solid. February and last year at Sam Houston, another really nice effort. Either of those two would be completely competitive against this group. And um, and then the five, Good Ride Cowboy. First time gelding who broke on top but didn't uh, didn't get the chance to go on with it. Ended up sitting second and backed up, but I think there's a little more to him. I'm playing against Texas Crossbow. I can't do it. He was your heavy chalk last time out in a race where it looked like he was the lone speed and he just had absolutely no excuses. And now he drops for Danny Pish, a really good barn. But Sorensen is just one for the meat still. So he's not making the right moves as a rider uh, over the last, you know, two months. It, do you want to have to be locked to a short price horse that is not in the best of, uh, like, the hottest of rider hands as of late? I don't know. Not as a shock for me. Seven, eight, six, five, playing against the three Texas crossbow. Moving to the last on Wednesday, five furlongs on the turf course. I like the two five eight, who I'll have all over the place. The eight, I might single on one ticket. Think it's a donation. The damn, he's actually she's raced twice, and they were both pretty good efforts. She was third in her career debut at Fairgrounds back in December of 2019, and then she came back, hadn't raced from from then till January 31st of this year, just a, a few weeks ago. And she broke on top. She sat third. She was three behind the top two who were battling it out. She loomed up. She got a great trip. 
She ended up going a bit wide at the top of the lane. She couldn't get to the maiden special weight dropping three to five favorite winner, but she ran second and she was really good. And now she's going to move to the grass. The dam won twice on the grass, was actually multiple stakes placed, and she's going to be really fit with that race under her belt. The eight, think it's a donation. Anything around three to one, I'll make a win wager here. The number two, Satin Finish, is going to try the turf for the first time. The dam was three for five or three for twelve on the grass. A couple siblings both tried turf, um, but they only raced on it a few times, so it's really tough to get a gauge for them. The number five, Further Lane, is a Broberg first off the claim, and this filly has shown ability. She showed some in her. Debut at Keeneland when she was second. Career start number two, she was second at Churchill. She's had some issues at the start, and she's had some trouble in each of her races. In fact, on November the 25th, she had another slow start. That race was in the slop. It's a race that's come back productive, and she was behind Red Bottom Rebel, who we saw come over and beat Satin Finish. So, further lane, the damn one on the grass, the lone sib to try one on it. Plenty to like about this one, trying the turf. Eight. Two, five, I will use in all exotics here in race number 11 at Sam Houston. In race number 11 at Sam Houston. And then we get to the 12th and final at Sam Houston. Five and a half furlongs, the distance for Texas bred Phillies and Mares, four year olds and up, five non twos. The number two, Miss Red Rocket. She. She ended up breaking well. She was tracking in second a length off, but she couldn't get to the loose on the lead. Eventual winner twirling around. Uh, she just backs up that day. That was her first start, though, since September. The horse who was second in that race, brightest, came out of it to win. And Miss Ro- Red Rocket has a race on September the 15th at Louisiana Downs that would be very competitive against this group when uh, it's kind of sitting a few lengths off all the way around. This is not a strong group at all. I think you have to use the two in all of your tickets to try to close. The three, Zoe's Gold Lady, tried tougher last time out off of legitimate trouble back on January the 28th. She's a must-use in all exotics for me. And the six, Run-On Girl, with her speed, if she can clear this field, she might not even want to go five and a half. That This might be too far for her, but she should have a length or two on the field, and, and you know she'll have no excuses as far as clearing the field. If she's good enough, it's just how far does she really want to go. 236 is my top tier. And if you want to go deeper to close, the number four, Chow Chow, who is dropping. The number five, Sue's Easter Gal, who's dropping back third off the bench. She can actually pass some horses too. And she has a couple races at Lone Star last year that were decent enough to compete with these. And the number eight would be, uh, if I'm going a, a little deeper, Texas Missile, who is just one that's dropping. And again, you can go back and find races that could compete. Like the two backs, uh, September 7th race at, at Louisiana Downs was a really good third on the on the turf. But overall, she's really inconsistent. It's that kind of a race, though. I mean, the, the nine is one for 41. So I'd prefer a horse like the eight Texas Missile who has a little bit of upside there. 12 races carded on Wednesday at Sam Houston. And you know what? There are 12 races carded on Thursday at Sam Houston, too. We're going to get there in just a minute. We're going to get to Thursday Gulfstream in just a minute. But first, let's talk about Old Smoke. OldSmokeClothing.com. 
High quality products rooted in the iconic symbols of racing and the racetrack experience. Quality clothing and merchandise that horse racing fans and those who love the atmosphere and the lifestyle of racing will be able to enjoy. Old Smoke combined their love for thoroughbred racing and they wanted to give a little nod to the rich traditions and pageantry. Uh, that's, that's the core of the vision of Old Smoke clothing. They share fascinating stories through thoroughbred racing's history. And, I mean, it just starts with the name, Old Smoke. They're literally named after Old Smoke John Morrissey, the founding father of Saratoga Racecourse. This was a guy who is one of the craziest, most interesting characters ever. Uh, brawler, gang member, cargo thief, brothel bouncer, political enforcer, and then he ended up opening up Saratoga. Uh, he served in the Congress and the Senate. They are named after Old Smoke John Morrissey and... Old Smoke Clothing is one of the few places where you can really find a bunch of really good horse racing gear. I mean, right, we, we as horse racing fans understand that it's kind of a niche sport now. We don't just walk into the mall and uh, there's not a big horse racing store in there. But at OldSmokeClothing.com, that's your store. T-shirts with horse names, polos, hoodies, long sleeves, zip-ups, hats with the names of big races, slogans. Uh, you have the ability to custom design anything you want there. They have the Old Smoke Clubhouse, which is a quarterly package delivery there that gives you unique stuff that only the clubhouse members can have. For $500 annual fee, you get four deliveries to you with different packages, shirts, um, hats. You get a discount on the membership, and then you get access to a forum where you can talk with all the other people who are members and talk about racing, share your stories, and just uh, embrace the love for the thoroughbred. OldSmokeClothing.com. How about that promo code Gino? Free shipping on your order. Yep, promo code G-I-N-O gets you free shipping on your order. Maybe you're a fan of Tis the Law, Bob Baffert, you name it, they've got it. She dares the devil, Midnight Bisu. Don't forget about that promo code G-I-N-O gets you free shipping on your order from OldSmokeClothing.com. Let's get to Thursday racing. Let's start over at Gulfstream Park. Uh, four plays over at Gulfstream, so get your past performances out for February the 25th, and we are going to turn to race number two for the first play. I'm looking at the number six in here, Ecliptical's Carol. Now, the first two horses that I'm going to give out, I'm I'm a little concerned because they're both uh, horses that I rather tease Jr. is riding, which generally means that you just don't get the kind of value you want just because a lot of people bet Irad because he's really good. He's probably the best rider out there right now, and he wins a ton of races. So Eclipticals Carol, uh, the six, just had absolutely no shot in her career debut. Irad was actually aboard that day. It was on the grass going five, and they completely missed the break and had no shot. But Irad decides to jump back aboard, and now they decide to jump on the dirt, and I just don't think there is much in this group. Nobody else in here scares me, or uh, I, I think much of. So the six, you know, if, if she's around seven to two, that feels like a fair price on Eclipticals. Carol, shout out to my mom, Carol, there also. Let's get to the fifth race. Again, we're going to be going to Irad, and I'm looking at the number 12, Majestic Street, who... I just think this line is a little bit off. Um, he he looks to me like he's going to be like three to one in here, and so if he's anything around that, that's fine. I I thought I I thought he was seven to two morning line type horse, and um, if he was over five to two, that'd be value. 
he debuted against open maiden special weights. And the open maiden special weight race that he was in, he was behind a horse named Founder, who has two losses, one of them to Essential Quality and one of them to Mandaloon, two of the better three-year-olds. In that race, the runner-up was named Highly Motivated. Highly Motivated has since won two races, won the Nyquist Stakes, and is pointing to the Gotham next week. I actually love Highly Motivated. He's one of my favorite three-year-olds. I think Caleb Keller from TVG posted the other day and asked who is a three-year-old that we think could maybe upset some of the, the major names. I said Highly Motivated as one. So Majestic Street is now... He, Majestic Street got action in that race. Was only 11-1 to 1 at Saratoga, and that race was a race that was on and off track. So you move from the open, really tough Saratoga race that Majestic Street was in to a Florida-bred maiden special weight race here. Now, this guy's damn one. Three siblings to race, two of them won, and the only one, and, and of those three, the one who didn't win and only only raced twice. One of those winning siblings was named St. Joe Bay, who's a three-time graded stakes winner who has earned $769,000 and has won eight times. So, I think the 12 is a a little off on the line and is probably going to be really, really tough in here. If he's over 5-2, to two, that seems like value to me out of the races he exits. The number 12, Majestic Street in race number 5. Let's move to race number 8. And uh, I'm going to look at the 6 horse in here as just a pretty consistent horse. Da Laniga, who is drawn well, who cuts back, Paco jumps aboard, Likes Gulfstream Park and just seems like this is a very nice fit. Two back against 16, maybe a tad open 16s, maybe a tad tough. Uh, the Claiming Crown race was in a little tough that day. And so you can excuse those efforts. And now another one who is here in with Florida Breds after facing open company for the last few. The number six, you know, if we can get anything around three to one ish or so, that feels fair. And in the ninth race, the number six, Raina Gall, who she has shown ability in all three starts, and she got she was drawn towards the inside in all three. So I think she was forced a little bit into some trips that she may not have wanted. Uh, now she's drawn towards the outside more. She should be able to sit very nicely, and uh, I think she can you know be more of a tracking type in this spot. The number six, Raina Gall, anything over five to one will make a win wager. So on Thursday at Gulfstream Park, in the second race, the number six, Eclipticals Carol. In the fifth, the number 12, Majestic Street. In the eighth, the number six, Da Laniga. And in the ninth, the number six, Raina Gall. That's Gulfstream for Thursday. Let's head over to Sam Houston for Thursday. Another big card with 12 races on tap. Get those past performances out. February the 25th, Sam Houston. Let's get you to race number one. I, I'm. Let's just get right through the first. I thought the six, the chalk, is going to be really tough. This is another situation where you could play two pick sixes on uh, on Thursday. So you could play a pick six right here and then another one later in the card. I thought the six, fantastic, was just an absolute standout. Even trying the grass um, on the cutback. I just, I, I couldn't really find anyone else in here that I like, so... I probably won't get involved in that race all too much. 
in the second. This is the start of the pick five. You got Texas bred five claimers, non-winners of two in here. I'm in the four, five, six range, and I'm trying to beat the two on the honor roll, who's just one for 26 overall. I think he will be close up and he will be uh, in the mix here throughout. He's come, he's dropping in from the open five to the Texas bred five claimers. I just can't really trust him when he's going to be a, a short price in here. I'd much prefer horses like Doc's Gold, even though we haven't seen Doc since you know July. He's got a little bit of upside. I thought the five and the six were probably the most intriguing in here. Silver Aces, second off the bench, and Wild Tonight, who's just dropping in class. So we'll go against the uh, morning line favorite on the on-roll here in race number two. I'll use the 6-5-4 in race number two at Sam Houston. In the third race at Sam Houston, $25,000 non-two claimers, five furlongs, the distance. I love the seven mom's pass. I'm going to single mom's pass in here who, you know, you just start digging through her races and her form overall is really solid. And she only has a couple what you would call poor performances. And those were at Saratoga on the grass, at Kentucky on the grass, fairgrounds, and they're against better and they're not even bad. Their fourth, fifth place finishes in big fields where she just was facing horses that were a little bit better. Now, if you look at her recent running lines, all of her recent races have been followed by layoffs, except for this one that's coming up. She is going to be racing with that February race under her belt. I'm expecting a huge one from the number seven, Mom's Pass, as a horse who I will single in early exotics. This is also the start of your early pick four. The number three, Hello Bubbles. Comes in from Southern California to an awesome barn, the Gustafson barn. So she would be no shock, but I just like another horse in here. Instead of using the two horses that'll probably be the the A and the Bs, I'll try to single against the horse who I think will take all the money. So the seven is the play for me, Mom's Pass. We move along to race number four, 25 non-two claimers, five and a half furlongs, the distance in here. I love the seven, free flying fast. He had some le- She had some legitimate trouble last time out in two starts back. She was fourth in a what I think is a good race. Um, I like Hooked on a Kiss. Prospera is better than what we saw from her last time out. And I think Foldham is actually a, a pretty solid animal. This is a Good spot for free flying fast. Third start off the bench. Has speed, but can track. I like the seven quite a bit. Seven with the nine. Uh, who makes you know a ton of sense, obviously, coming in from Oaklawn Park, who faced better. Happy go Bucky. And the eight, reason why. Seven, nine, eight for me in the fourth. In race number five, I like the four quite a bit. Silence Dioro. Silence Dioro debuted against open maiden special weights at Remington Park, was fifth in a race where the first and third place finishers have come back to win. Senior Buscador, who came back to win the Springboard Mile and then took a shot and ran against a graded stakes company in the Risen Star, and Flash of Mischief came out of that race to win. The fourth place finisher that day was Texas Prado, who ended up uh, coming back and beating Bonham and... uh, all the horses that come out of that January 31st Bonham race. So Silence Dioro was actually right next to Texas Prado who came back and beat a lot of this group. Four deep was battling and then up to the two path did not have the easiest of trip. Has been working really, really well as of late. The number four, Silence Dioro. I might single this horse too in some early exotics. If I can get anything around, anything over two to one, that 
spells good value for me. I have the four on top of uh, the seven Sassagrass and the eight Bonham. Uh, expect both of them to improve, continue to improve. The eleven. Uh, Flying Sexy, who I thought the debut was actually sneaky good. Uh, Rush the Colors, if you want to go a little deeper underneath. But I just would use Rush the Colors underneath. I'm, I'm going to try to beat the 10 on the win end. And uh, and then the one, Moro Mischief, who actually uh, took a nice step forward last time out. So 4 over 7, 8, 11, 1, 10. But the 4, Silence D'Oro. Uh, a no doubt top selection for me here. As we move to the 6th race, Maiden Special Weights, 5.5 furlongs the distance. I thought the four hatchet girl might be able to just end up in a great trip uh, with a great trip in a good spot on the big cutback. She broke on top. She had to take back to third or she chose to take back to third a couple lengths off and she just couldn't really come on again. Uh, The debut was, you know, was nice. This horse was three deep within striking range back to five and a half. I've got a feeling she's going to be around a a, a lot longer than she was in her last two uh, in this particular spot. I will use the five greatest love, the first time starter for Tom Amos, and the one, the first time starter, fashion rage for Brett Calhoun. Four five one in race number six. We move to the seventh race, the start of the second pick six on Thursday at Sam Houston. I'm gonna go to the four optimal, who stretches out from five furlongs. There is no speed in here. Optimal is going to try to steal this race. I think Carlia's dream will be right behind, but the plan has got to be with Luzzy, who is an excellent speed rider, to try to take this field gate to wire. Two, uh, three starts back, we saw Luzzy aboard Optimal, go gate to wire against 25 non-twos on the main track. Now he just has to prove he can do it on the turf course in a race where there is not any speed. The one stage ready is the one they'll all have to hold off. He will save all the ground from the inside and come closing. The three, Carlia's dream, should end up in a great spot. I I think he's probably going to be second behind Optimal throughout and maybe just falls into the win here. Then the 10 and the 11, uh, Days of Glory, if you want to go, you know, you're looking for another. You can really start digging through his races and you know what? He's, he makes a lot of sense. He's, he's a total fit in here the 11 sports fan gets back to the turf no speed at all he does need a little help up front but when you look at some of the races he comes out of his turf form overall is you know he hasn't won but he's been in the top three and five of six and the one where he didn't he was behind a horse named don't ask don't tell who won six in a row and then behind a horse named limonite who won four out of six so that was a loaded race that uh that one that he didn't really run all that well in four one, three, ten, eleven. How I have them stacked in race number seven at Sam Houston in the eighth race. I think just inside outside the seven via Angelica feels like the one to beat, and with the outside draw, she should just be able to sit in the clear and kind of have options whenever Rye wants to ask the question with her. The one twirling diamond will try to steal it from the inside. You can just toss the race in the slop last time out. Second off the long layoff. I think the game plan has to be send hard because there's not that much other speed in here either. So I like the one twirling diamond we'll use along everywhere with the seven via Angelica. One seven in the eighth race for me. In the ninth, mile and 16th turf course, optional 40, non-winners of two on the year. The number five, quick, 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 who drops out of the jersey, Lily, was buried inside, about six, seven lengths out of it, had to wait, and then angle around really wide, closed nicely. This is just a much better spot for quick, 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 this mare, who should improve now with uh, the race under her belt. 
The one after Red Sun is really sharp. And with the inside draw, I'd imagine they want to get aggressive with him, but uh, with her. She can win on in, in many different ways, though. But with that inside draw, probably want to secure a good spot early. The number six story time. She just comes out of by far the best, best races. And her best, like a B-plus from her, wins this race. Even if she shows up with like slightly better than her, her best. Or slightly less than her best. Whatever I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. 5-1-6 in the ninth. That's Sam Houston. In the 10th race, the the 5, Calescent, a totally logical favorite who I think you probably want to use. But the 7, Silver Devil, you know, she was a nice debut winner going long, which is not easy to do. And then she just tried Stakes Company and was in a little bit too tough afterwards. I like the fact that she is drawn towards the outside, which will will give her some options. And Calescent is the one to beat. 7-5 in the 10th at Sam Houston. Late double time as we head to race number 11 for Sam Houston Thursday. Uh, I'm looking at the number 7, My Father's Eyes, who was a winner last time out and now is a first-time gelding. And if you toss the two back going 75 uh, against 7500 on October the 2nd and just say that was the end of the year and you start to look at the form throughout this has been one of the more consistent horses in this group this is not a very consistent group uh, so i think you have to use the 7 everywhere the 12 um, war veteran is probably the one they'll all have to beat so uh, war veteran dropping in class will be tough the 1 Eternal Force, first time gelding another one in here off of two good efforts, really trying hard in, in the last two, uh, but we'll have to deal with the the inside draw who may not be the best. 7-12-1, if you want to go a little farther, the four, Aloha Luya, uh, is probably one that just off of some of those races I'll throw in in the bottom of some exotics, but not one that I, I'm going to be keying in on necessarily. In the 11th, 7-12-1-4 there at Sam Houston. We move to the 12th and final. I'm going to start with the 6, A Date with Bling. So she's going to drop and stretch out. Her career debut, she faced Maiden $17,500 claimers, and she got squeezed back at the start. She was like 10, 12 lengths out of it, completely outrun. She did eventually get into a nice stride, started to move, and picked up some pieces late. I think it's going to be a whole different ball game this time out. We know Leslie's an aggressive rider. If she breaks well and stretches out to a mile, don't be shocked if she is way, way closer than you would expect. There is not a lot of proven speed in this field. The six, it's good to be king. You know, just like a measuring stick type. If nobody runs well in here, she probably wins the race just based on what she's been doing. And then you got the one fasted who has the blinkers, adds the blinkers, puts two starts together, and with the inside draw, you'd imagine they're going to try to send. 5-6-1 in race number 12 at Sam Houston to close it out. So 24 Sam Houston races over Wednesday and Thursday, and they're all thoroughbreds, not even any Arabian races in, in the mix there. Hopefully we helped lead you to the winner's circle a few times to close it out. Wanda Vision episode 7 recap with Tim Kelly last week when the episode the new episode of Wanda Vision came out they release on Disney Plus at 12:01 a.m. on Friday morning so very late Thursday night if you're still up and so I of course I'm a maniac I stay up I set my alarm so I can watch it as soon as it comes out so many people were doing that last week 
with WandaVision, which is currently the number one watch show in the United States and probably the world, the, the site crashed. Disney Plus crashed. And for about 15 minutes, you couldn't get in, you couldn't get access, and then finally it got back up, and everybody online was freaking out. Where's my WandaVision? I stayed up all night. Oh, no, we can't watch it. I was freaking out with all the uh, uh, the folks online, like, oh, no, I went and tried to wake up. Steph, can you believe WandaVision? Is I w- woke her up at midnight just to let her know that it wasn't, okay, cool, Gino, back to sleep for Stephanie. But I watched WandaVision a few minutes later, and Tim Kelly is going to join me to talk about everything that happened in this week's episode seven spoiler alert we go over everything we spend I think like an hour and a half talking about a 30 minute episode of tv so two to three times as long because it is so rich there's so much happening and so much in that mcu tim kelly joins to talk wandavision episode seven episode seven of wandavision <laughs> we are breaking the fourth wall right now and Tim, on uh, Thursday night at about 12.01 a.m. Pacific time, uh, many of us were breaking Disney Plus because it crashed. <laughs> it went down immediately. Like I think there were a, oh, a wow. bunch of birds out there just like me on uh, on Thursday <laughs> night, set my alarms at 11.59. So uh, I get ready like at 12.01 as soon as it's ready to, to throw on, and I'm freaking out. It's like I can't, oh get, into, I can't get into Disney Plus. <laughs> It's not working. It's telling me my credentials don't work. I'm looking at my payment stuff. Oh. It, I took my payment like a week ago. I'm like, what's what's going on? This is, you know, I'm freaking out. I'm trying it on wow. my phone. I'm trying it on my iPad. Not working. <laughs> so then, of course, what do I do? I go to Twitter. I just type in the search Disney Plus down. And all of a sudden, yep. there's hundreds of other people just doing the same thing that I am. Oh, my God. Wow. What a, I'm getting no deja vu. I know. I'm getting was, deja vu right now back to the Conor McGregor fight. <laughs> with ESPN Plus, right, which is yeah. also uh, I have a bundle pack of ESPN Plus, Hulu, and Disney, and Plus. Disney Plus. It's all the same <laughs> company, so I guess they have an issue with their streaming when they get really uh, overloaded. That uh, that thing goes down. I guess I didn't yeah. experience that myself. Uh, I'm sorry that you did. I, mean, uh, was- I was able to watch just after midnight, um, and wow, I, I couldn't wait to watch it again. I've watched it twice since then. It was uh, so- to just. Yeah, yeah. So funny to see other people the same thing and other people putting up the memes that are like, I stayed up all night to watch this, mm. but it, it only lasted about ten minutes, uh, and then right. I was to- then I was totally fine. I got in and had had no problems, and we got episode seven, Tim. Um, and wow, I I mean, yeah. uh, progressing. It, felt like for a lot of the episode we weren't getting much answered because Wanda was literally saying what yeah. like. What's going on? I don't know what's happening. Like she didn't have any of the answers to the questions, but then we got them at the end with the big reveal. If you've made it this far already, I'm sure you know that this there's going to be a spoiler alert coming because Tim and I are going to recap everything that happened. But uh, we know for at least now the bad guy, the big bad or the bad girl is uh, is Agnes, Agatha Harkness. And she got her own little uh, intro at the very end. It's been quote unquote Agatha all along (laughs) yeah that was huge I mean a lot of people were calling that early on and we were watching it very closely thinking that's what it could be and uh, I did not see the reveal coming quite like that I mean what what an original way to to show it it was a shock it was was creepy scary the way they kind of uh, laid it out there and then they just flipped it on its head with this great montage of of her all along uh, with that song that's got to be I don't know is it on Sp- Spotify is it on the uh, iTunes charts right now I mean 
that's a catchy song right now. I've had it in my head since I heard it. I mean, it was great. It was just great. Yeah. I mean, and it's late at night when I'm watching it, so I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm in that zone right before falling asleep, and it's so surreal. I'm like, did I just dream watching that? It's, it's so unseen before. Like I've never seen a show that kind of unfurls in this way. It's so meta. And it's so different episode to episode. And then they can just do stuff like that, which uh, which totally works in context. Uh, and I, I, it just feels like this original thing. Like they're really breaking new ground on this TV show. It's like what was important last week or two weeks ago feels at sometimes like it has no nothing to do with <laughs> what's going on in this episode. But at, then at the same time, when as soon as you start to think that, like Pietro, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he's... The entire last episode, really, and like last episode and yeah. the end of the one before, we're all trying to figure out what, who, what, when, where, why, why is he here, who is this guy, and then all of a sudden, we just don't see him the entire episode until the very end when we finally got the uh, the credit scene. We finally yeah. got the credit scene after you had been mentioning for for all the first six episodes, how freaking long the credit sequences are for WandaVision. It, it couldn't have been like a coincidence hold, that they were going to be setting you up hold with the phone. eight minute hold credit the phone. sequences. Yes. Are you telling me that there was a post credit sequence? You missed it? And I have not seen it yet. Oh, oh my it. goodness. I love it. I, I don't even it. know it yet. Oh I my goodness. It. I love you. I had no idea. I love this. <laughs> I get to share it with you. And what's cool about the, about this conversation that Tim and I are having right now, we're recording a little earlier than we normally have. So just behind the <laughs> behind our fourth wall, even we've normally because I'll put this show. I'll still put the the uh, conversation that we're having out probably on a Tuesday on Tuesday when I put out my other show. But we're recording on Saturday morning, so we're only like you know twenty four hours not long after for like. 30, 30 hours yeah. or so after this has been out, you know, so it's a little different than normally we've had a few extra days where we've kind of been sitting on everything. So yes, TK, we get, wow. and it's the, it's very small, very small, but after yeah. Agatha all along, we get a couple of minutes of credits and then we see Monica, Monica Rambo has arrived at Agatha's house. Okay. She's looking around, she walks around to the back. And she sees the entrance to the basement. It's mm. kind of like one of those old entrances where the doors are on, like laying on the ground and you pull them up. And so she pulls the doors up and she can sort of see the entrance into the basement, just kind of like what Wanda had seen. It looks sort of spooky. There's sort of purple, like magical vines yeah. eating you down into it. And right as she's about to step foot in there to try to go save Wanda, you know, go do whatever she's going to do. Um, behind her, we actually see Pietro, and he comes up kind of creepy behind her, and he just says, "Snooper's gonna snoop," and that's it. <laughs> that's it. Oh man, I'm so bummed no. I missed that. But that's no, great. You gave a great explanation of that, a great description. I mean, uh, wow. Uh, yeah. So he's back. Um, yeah. So she's getting ready to go find Wanda. Um, it, is do we does Pietro is like is he now working with at with Agatha? Does he capture Monica and like do we see Monica now kidnapped with Wanda next time? Who I mean, there's just a lot of questions. Right. Is Pietro just some random that's gonna is maybe help Monica? Who knows? But 
we hadn't like this was what I meant when we hadn't seen or really heard much about Pietro except yeah. for sort of like the oh he's not your brother and then we see him at the mm-hmm. very end in the first actual credit sequence. It's so funny that you missed that because you were tell wow. you were basically telling us all like to not miss it with how long the credits <laughs> are all throughout. <laughs> that's what happens when you've been a dad for a week already. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I got it. That's what that's what I get also for not uh, sitting through the credits. Yeah. <laughs> that's what a film fan does. But uh, man, what an episode. Uh, I got to go back and um, and get, retract a few statements from last week. Uh, I probably, I just revealed myself as somebody that doesn't watch the end credits. I also revealed myself as somebody who doesn't watch uh, the, the previews for the next week's episode. Because I totally did not see the Modern Family thing coming. And that was like right in front of my face. I should have saw that coming. Oh, good. In um, the office, right? I mean, we're just yeah, oh. watching Modern Family in the office most of this Absolutely. freaking episode. So great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was fantastic. I mean, um, I, I can't speak highly enough of this show. It has become, you know, my new favorite show. And it's for the reasons I said before. It's just it's so different. I don't know what to expect from it. It's silly and fun and light at times. But then it, it just it turns things on its head. And I, I love the meta aspect of it. And uh, <laughs> there's a few great moments of that within this episode. I mean, the title, like you had mentioned before, Breaking the Fourth Wall, it was it was ripe for that sort of thing. And I really want to continue to give Disney Plus a lot of credit for the way from with all of their original shows so far. They've gone back to the weekly format. And it, I think it's really great for what it what it's doing for like the li- like the lifespan of a show like this. Right. Think about if they were to drop something like WandaVision full season a month and a half ago, we'd have already been way past WandaVision and on to whatever the next show is is on Netflix that we would have been talking about. With the week to week, we get to digest everything like we're doing here, respawn, react to everything Mm -hmm. all week. Then we sit on it. We start to look up other, um, you know, people's theories. We're on Reddit, other places like fans, you know, fiction stuff. Like what's going to happen next? Is it House of M? Is it from this comic vision? So they, they did it with the Mandalorian. And now they're doing it with this, and it's it's working, Tim. It's working. This is it. this is becoming one of those like pop culture shows that everybody is is talking about. I mean, one of the guys in in WWF. I'm a I'm a big wrestling fan. He just came back after a few months away, and um, when he came back, his like his entrance music and stuff is literally like the the color scheme to the Wandavision like. Intro mm. color with the red, and he's even saying things like, "This is my vision." It's it's like blatantly oh. <laughs> ripped right off of Wandavision. You know, it's like it's uh-huh. becoming just like a total pop culture phenomenon now. And that re- that reminds me of Sting back in the day in the right? WCW the when he came out as the Crow. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. it's basically the Crow. Great, yeah, great pull there, TK. That was great. Yeah, but it's. <laughs> And then, you know, we're going to lead into Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're going to lead into Loki after this. Then we're going to lead into Doctor Strange and the multiverse. So it's just going to be um, uh, a, just a, a nice roller coaster ride that we're on. Let's get right into episode seven, Breaking the Fourth Wall. Uh, we begin the episode with Wanda in bed. She wakes up and, uh, and, and immediately that fourth wall is being broken. She is talking to the camera. If yeah. you've never seen Modern Family, she is playing... Like as good of a mimic role of the lead mo- main character in Modern Family, the mom, who is just sort of this cute, like adorable woman, but who is just 
like will tell you everything that's going on won't sugarcoat it will completely like like break down to the camera um Mm -hmm. it it is incredible what what she's She's got that mom energy that that tired mom energy she's past it about (laughs) everything overtired yeah you're right it's like the like beyond tired and so she's sort of acting like um it's almost like she's hung over too at this point she she wakes Mm. up and she's sort of like very playful throughout and even vision you know when they're this is what the tone of this episode is is that even when they're talking about very serious uh issues it's all it's all a real playful tone just like modern family or the office would be when they're deadpanning to the camera or they're kind of in that like documentary like being interviewed state where Mm -hmm. uh, they're answering questions (laughs) so the video confessional the real world style exactly so um look she says look we've all been there you know uh <laughs> letting our fear and anger get the best of us uh unintentionally expanding the borders of the false universe we, <laughs> of the false worlds we created <laughs> which yep. is just hilarious there were probably three or four ep- uh, points in this episode where i really laughed hard and one of Same. them one of them's coming mm-hmm. up early in here where i just like absolutely had to stop because i was laughing so hard and i like, had to rewind a few different times uh <laughs> so yeah. boys but one thing i want to say but wait yeah. she uh when she wakes up the first thing she does is look to the empty spot in her bed she's thinking about yes. vision and they point out that vision's not there good point so the boys are downstairs as she's you know talking to the camera about everything's how everything's happening their video they're playing their video games mm-hmm. and and they're they're glitching and they're glitching and they're changing from like uh, an Xbox controller to a PS2 controller to a joystick to Uno. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, I, I think it was, PS5. they went Wii, GameCube, Atari. Okay. From what I could, and then Uno. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I mean, it was, it was great. Um, and Billy mentions that his head feels weird. Now, remember last week, Billy mm. really started to notice his powers and started to feel his powers. We wonder if this has something to do with the fact that this hex has been expanded now. There's all these extra people in this in in here. He's probably hearing yeah. a ton of voices in his head that he it's like exactly. we see in a lot of these young superhero X-Men movies where it takes them a while when they're young to get control over their powers. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And something like psychic uh powers would be really interesting to experience. Yeah. I mean, that overwhelm of just a sea of voices and how do you focus yeah Yeah. exactly so wanda she looks beat uh you know she Mm -hmm. needs a what she's calling quarantine staycation you know which is uh, playing on the 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 most recent year really nicely also um and i think it's worth noting that she says as punishment for my reckless evening so she's in a state right now where she's she's feeling guilty i think she's Mm -hmm. punishing herself yeah. Uh, over something, and that, I think that ties into something that gets said later in the episode. So it's important to note. That's another great point. So she is just going to take a, an entire day to herself. Um, another little small thing you've mentioned a lot of the hexagons all over the place on the pillows, mm. hexagon uh, patterns oh, on her pillows, which is laying there too. Just like little things that you you pick up, you know, when you're uh, when you're looking for them yeah. even more. So Wanda walks downstairs. Remember last week when she walked downstairs. In the on the Halloween costume, how fantastic she looked! She was like right. laughing as she bounced down, and the boys said, "Mom, whoa, you look amazing!" This week, <laughs> she's like 
stumbling down almost totally disheveled hair not up she's in her pajamas she just doesn't care and not and not even pretending to care about anything mm-hmm. um and so she it's, the boys are continuing to play with their uh, video games there as Wanda walks into the kitchen she grabs her sugar scoops and uh <laughs> she gets the milk and now the milk keeps glitching it's changing yeah. from a carton of milk and it, and it's basically going through what when the glitches happen it's basically like what this object is here's what this object looked like throughout the years right different versions yeah. of a video game controller different versions of what a milk carton would have looked like to where there's a bottle of milk and then there's a bigger in black box and white. in black and white a bigger <laughs> box of milk there's even on the carton we've get the we get the missing children yes um, on the back which is a little foreshadowing, foreshadowing right there yeah. we go for later into the episode so just the attention to detail like always so with true. uh with with these guys and gals that that put all these shows together it, it just incredible and um we get back to wanda talking to us so she's responding to what's happening with the glitches and she's a yeah i'm not sure what that's about uh just, <laughs> just probably a case of the mondays i love and, that you know, and and so she has no clue what's going on right now. Um, she is is and 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 we're thinking, is she kind of just losing, uh, like losing her power over everything because it's now becoming so big? You know, like is she not mm-hmm. having as much of a yeah. grasp on this hex because she expanded it so much that now she can't even really control what's going on because she has like focus in so many different places just to try to keep it all together. Um, yeah, and. That that makes sense. I mean, when we talked about last week, how the the people on the edge of the hex really didn't have, uh, they weren't doing much. So it seemed like maybe they weren't fully under her control. So I, it seems like yeah, that, that maybe she's coming up on the limits of the you know the bandwidth of her power. And as she's talking, you know, she does have that like she'll say you know she'll say something in a joking like light manner, but she'll get that like sort of scared, nervous, confused look on her face where she really doesn't know what the hell's happening here. And she's just kind of trying to play it off uh, as, as best that she can to try to like make herself feel better. Cause she's definitely spiraling and, and just going through massive depression here. And we hear uh, Agnes with some really funny lines uh, coming up to sort of like reference that in just a moment. We get the intro though. Um, no, no words on this intro, but the style of the intro, the the music, is very much like The Office, and it actually oh, big time. looks like a TV <laughs> show that um, only was around for three episodes. But if you look at the intro, it's sort of similar to a show that was called Happy Endings um, that we oh. ended up that we watched, which isn't wasn't bad. I think it was from like 2011 to 2014. Uh, Way show, yeah, Wayans is in the show. A bunch of people that you would you would. Recognize, and they've gone on and done a lot bigger things in the the last five or six years since. Um, so uh, we then see Wanda's name flashing repeatedly over and over. Wanda, Wanda, in different ways, different um, styles, and then at the very end, it it just kind of slides up next to Wanda. It says Vision, and then Wanda Vision created by Wanda Maximoff. Right. So the created by was also interesting too from what we will find out, you know, more and more as this episode goes on. They just try to do every little thing they can to throw yeah. you off or to kind of uh, send you in uh, thinking maybe something uh, on the wrong path, which is as fans like I love being kind of teased and twisted and turned like this. It makes it so much fun. Yeah. 
and that that uh, intro, um, the the it being all Wanda and all Wanda centric, everything all about Wanda. That, no boys or anything. Yeah, right. I just connected that to later on in the episode. We get a commercial that thematically I think really ties into that. Um, I think we could touch on that when we get to it, but uh, just the idea of it, you know, it being all about her. So now we are back at Sword Temporary Retreat. They are eight miles outside of Westview. We've got Hayward with his team of agents that did not get caught in the hex, um, but they can't pick up the broadcast anymore. Uh, they're saying that there is dead air. The signal is gone. Uh, Hayward's just kind of pissed, and he's 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 in go mode right now. He says mm-hmm. we launch today, so they are uh, they're ready to to make another attack and to try to do whatever they can. As Monica mentions a little later on, you know they find the plans that they're going to try to blow up Westview. Yeah, that that at that moment it's like, what are they launching exactly? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he seems pretty sure that he's they're 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 moving forward with it, and he's just he's past this thing. He wants to get just, get mean, this thing over with. Like another thing to just think of with this, what Monica said to him in the last episode, we don't know what any kind of attack on Wanda or Westview mm-hmm. is going to do, right? Like how right. they tried to throw a they tried to send a rover in in a minute that gets spit out at them and it <laughs> like transformed into a truck. And now Hayward is going to attack on this place that he knows nothing about that has just, like, engulfed a bunch of his people. Like, his right-hand man yeah. is in there, and he doesn't even care. He it's just crazy. Like, it's so it's so precarious yeah. and unknown, and he's handling it very recklessly, with, yeah. you, I think. But, you know, he's he's in a place where he just does not trust these superheroes, and he wants to get this thing over with and he's very uh you know head headstrong and, and sure of himself and we find out later in the episode too that you know he's got more more stuff going on more of an agenda than we realized and uh, one of those agendas uh, has to do with vision who wakes up mm-hmm. back in the hex so he's not dead uh but he <laughs> is in a circus carnival um area and all of those sword agents who went through the hex They've been transformed into clowns or different parts of the circus. Um, in fact, Hayward's right-hand man, who I had just mentioned, he's now been transformed into a strong man. He's even got the S on his belt as sort of a just like a throwback, like the first ever superhero is Superman, you know, uh, with with the wow. S. So just uh, something that who knows if that's even what they're going for, but just always always cool sword to, too to see the sword. Yeah, the, and it's it was like what Monica's um, when when she was in her costume. Or uh, she was in her sword um, out, like her sword gear. When she went through the hex the first time, it transformed, but she still had the sword necklace on. You know, so it like it trans yeah. it it. What does the uh, Jimmy say? It rewrites it, right? Yeah. Uh, into like what you're wearing, but it doesn't completely eliminate what you have on. So uh, just just mm-hmm. ph- like phenomenal stuff here. At so many different layers. Um, Darcy, which we were curious, like what is she going to be transformed into? She's an escape artist here, and as she breaks the fourth wall and talks to us, it's hilarious. She's telling us she wanted yeah. to be the bearded lady, but you know she didn't have the beard to do it. So, uh, her alabaster skin. <laughs> <laughs> Which this is great, and um, so they see Vision, and they all think Vision is supposed to be part of the circus. But Vision actually remembers the interaction that he had with Darcy from the night before, and with all of them. 
right outside of the the sword headquarters or the sword um the sword camp right which was right outside of Westview so she actually was trying to save him the night before remember she was the one who kind of ran out and said hey what are you doing like help him and nobody would help him and she got handcuffed to the car and that's why she ended up you know getting caught in the hex now too but she doesn't remember any of this so she, she actually thinks he's flirting with her you know, like as he, so he, he follows her and continues to ask her questions, she's like, nah, you know, I'm not your type or nah, you know, this isn't, you know, and it's they actually she's have like a hard pass. Yeah, they have a pretty <laughs> good, pretty good chemistry and they spend a lot of this episode together. Yeah, I absolutely love them together. And th- you mentioned a laugh out loud moment when they first meet and she thinks that he's hitting on her. That was probably the laugh out loud moment. For the whole series for me. And and a very funny and appropriate style of joke for that that like the modern family type, the 2010s mm-hmm. kind of era, where yeah. it's like an awkward misunderstanding sort of thing. And it was played so perfectly by Paul Bettany. Uh just he played both sides of it. So you could really see how she misunderstood it. He really yeah. when he said we it was written perfectly too for that when it, where he's saying like we locked eyes, we shared a moment. And it was <laughs> it was it was great. Uh I, I literally laughed out loud and took it back there. We are back in Westview with Wanda now, and she asked the boys if they've seen their dad. Um, they say no, but they they said, "Hey, well, you know, we'll help you go look for him." But Wanda doesn't really seem to follow up on that or care too much about it. You know, she says if he wants to be here, he'll be here, and she continues to eat her sugar snaps. Billy asks about what Uncle P said. The night before about re-killing dad And Wanda says Don't listen to anything that man said He is not your uncle And as Billy says Who is he Wanda takes a moment And this is another This is just great Like This part right here where she just Just kind of like has her breakdown Um, She says Here's the thing boys Uh, I'm your mom and (laughs) as such you are counting on me to have all the answers, right? <laughs> well, I don't. Uh, I have no answers. Zip, zero, zilch, nada, niente. I'm starting to believe that everything is meaningless. <laughs> I mean, you're welcome to draw your own conclusions, of course. That's just where I'm at. <laughs> just, yeah. Like, mom <laughs> telling her kids that nothing matters in the world anymore. And the kids just look at each other like they don't know what the hell to think. Yeah. They're worried. They're worried for sure. They've never seen this nihilistic side of, of their mom before. And I don't think they've so, ever seen what's that. The, what's the woman from Modern Family's name? I don't I didn't write it down. Um, let me, I'll find it. I'll oh, look it up in a second. I'm I'll liking, it up but she really yeah. cap she does capture that essence and the way it was written in the in the performance. Just that that um quintessential tired mom over it kind of thing. Uh, warts and all kind of a, a an approach to it. It's a very modern version of, you know, show like a depiction of a mother. Uh, and I just thought it was really cool, really yeah. well done. Uh, as usual, it's what we ex- are expecting now. You know, every era she seems to hit, you know, pitch perfectly. So, it, kudos. It is really like cool. What you just um like between her and someone like uh you know Monica Rambo. Um, so it's uh what her name's uh Julie Bowen. Uh, she plays the character Claire yes. Dun- Claire Dunphy uh Dunphy and right on uh, on Modern Family. So. <laughs> it, it, it the range that we're getting to see for characters like, um, well, like Wanda, Beth Olsen, like Monica, um, even someone like Agnes, 
you know, oh. who's been getting to play this like goofy, funny, over the top, and now we'll get to play more of like an evil over the top. We're getting to see these like incredibly talented actors getting to show all of this range in what it's like what we think was like going to be a TV sitcom, but they get to play like the reality part, then the goofy part, then the, like, how it's changed through the years. I'm so impressed each and every week with with like the work that everyone has put into this show because it's like it's serving so many masters on so many different levels, you know. So true, and and the women on the show really get a chance. They to do. Shine. They do. So uh, Wanda then uh, speaks to us again, breaking the fourth wall. She says, uh, "Okay, so maybe I went a little dark there, but you know they'll be <laughs> fine. Uh, Vision is made of vibranium. They literally inherited tough skin. <laughs> so." Just, Perfect. Just so great here. Um, so Wanda is on the couch with the boys now. You hear a knock at the door. Wanda doesn't even bother to get up. Doesn't care. She's too lazy. She just uses her powers to open the door and says, Hi, Agnes. And um, Agnes walks in. And now we get Agnes breaking the fourth wall. And she says to the camera as she's sitting down with her little interview uh, um, confession uh, segment, she says, I think I got here just in the nick of time. Uh, she says she was one split end away from cutting her own bangs. And, so fun. And and the line that I died was is coming up soon when um, Agnes uh, senses that she needs help. So she offers to take the boys off Wanda's hands. Um, Billy just wants to stay and take care of his mom. As you mentioned, they're, they're worried about their mom now. They've never really seen this version of her. They were already worrying last week about things changing with, uh, vision and Wanda mom and dad weren't normal. Now dad's not even around what's happening with mom. She's freaking out. She's not out of her pajamas. She's eating sugar snaps all day. Um, so, so Agnes says, come on, I promise I won't bite to the boys. And then we get her. Again with her little confessional Where she says I actually bit a kid once And this was the one that made me just die It, it was like such a Dwight yeah. Schrute Like exactly like, I could yes. have literally taken her And put Dwight Schrute in <laughs> yeah. there And see him just saying I actually bit a kid once You know and just I, I was dying I must have watched this part Five six times because it just made me laugh Every come on boys I won't bite And she's so deadpan serious Like I've been a kid once So yeah <laughs> this one I love me. that line too I wrote that line Down as well I actually did bite a kid once uh, <laughs> And um, it, it was hilarious and I also thought it was uh, Very interesting to kind of Look back on it again this is another moment Where the things are Kind of falling apart for Wanda And specifically falling apart in terms of Like the reality kind of falling apart and right then and there is when Agnes comes up with, uh, with uh, to save the day, kind of with exactly yes. what they need to keep yes. it going. Which she's been doing. Remember what Vision said in, yeah. uh, "Oh, how strange! Agnes is here with exactly what we need at the exact time we needed it." When she like comes in with the doghouse, you know, um, which we'll Precise. find out that evil bitch with that dog. We're gonna find out about that in a little bit. <laughs> that was rough. that was a, a darkly funny line at the it end. Was, though. Yeah. It was though. Fu- it was really funny too. So uh, Wanda thanks Agnes um, who as Agnes is getting ready to leave with the boys, uh, she asks Wanda to take a look at this mole on her back yeah. which is just a funny like witch reference, you know, like witches with those moles all over. Okay, okay. No, no, yeah. Never mind that. I, I overstepped. I'm sorry. So then uh, <laughs> Agnes leaves. Boundaries. The she, she's going to help uh, keep an eye on the boys for a little while. 
while uh it's while very, it's very uh, subtle too on the on her way out she actually starts to ask the boys to look at the mole too yeah <laughs> as um, she walks out the door <laughs> i miss that straight Catherine yeah. Hahn is just just so good so the boys leave and wanda actually seems to for the first like kind of few seconds that she realizes she's alone she seems to really enjoy it um kind of like oh, okay this is what i really needed like i don't have to worry about anything and then the glitches start coming back First, mm-hmm. it's the furniture that's changing from year from what it would look like from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s. We get the fireplace changing. We get the TV set keep changing different formats. And she kind of looks around, and then she sets everything back. And she looks really confused as she has another uh, confessional where she's talking to us. And this reminded me, Tim... This is like exactly out of a Dane Cook stand-up in Vicious Cycle where oh. she's, she's looking at the camera and she goes, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. She says, I did my best. I, 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 I did, my, did best. my best. I did my best. You know, you just like reach onto yeah. the one line and you just repeat it over and over and over <laughs> again. And this is the one that that's what I just immediately got reminded of her going, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just spiraling <laughs> down the whole way. Like every delivery, you know, worse and worse. It is so, I mean, she's just capturing the essence of a person who is literally melting down, you know, like yeah. before, before our eyes. And, um, she's depressed. Yeah, she is. She, a she, lot of this is mental health stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're making, like, they're making light of it because that's the version of the sitcom and stuff. But remember, like, Monica, I'm Monica. Um, Wanda, b- b- with all of the powers that she's had, she has been one of the most like troubled, and has had some of the biggest for for a character that didn't have a whole lot before this show. She wasn't in like the whole world of the Avengers movies all that much. She has one of the most like convoluted and like brutal and troubling and jarring backstories to where she really does have massive mental health issues think about all the people she's lost even as we're yeah. we we actually kind of um we're we're meant to feel that in just a minute when vision starts to understand he even says like wow i didn't i didn't realize like everything that wanda had been through before this and, and he's yeah. not like He's not as mad at her in that moment as he was right. in some of the last couple episodes where he's like, what are you doing? I don't understand anything. Once he, uh, you know, and we'll get there in a minute, but once Darcy kind of clues him in on everything, he starts to understand a little bit more and, and starts to kind of empathize a little bit more with, with Wanda. So, um, yeah, I think he says in that moment, uh, it's, uh, you know, for, for me, it's almost like it happened to a, you know, a different person. But uh, for her, it's just it's it's fresh. It's a week or two ago. Yeah. So uh, that context really adds a lot of uh, I don't know, adds a lot of stakes to what she's going through. We are back outside the hex now. Monica and Jimmy are driving, and uh, they found the Darcy emailed them the results a little earlier uh, from what she had found on the computers. They found some R and D reports, and there is a project under the code name uh, Cataract. Is that right? Yeah, Cataract. Yeah. So. Hayward was trying to bring Vision back He wants to weaponize Vision This is something that they referenced um, in, in episode one Kind of quickly when 
Hayward was telling Monica everything that's changed in Sword over the last five years, how they are sort doing different things. This is one mm-hmm. of those things he was talking about. Yeah, the SW in in Sword stands for sentient sentient weapon. Uh, I think, if I'm not uh, mistaken, that that's actually something they kind of tweaked from the comics. I, I'd have to look up the the original uh, wording for it, but I think that's something that they kind of adjusted for this story, so that it's about. It's centered. Their whole agency is centered around sentient weapons, at least at this uh, stage in the story. So Monica and Jimmy arrive to meet with Agent Goodner, who is uh, with a few others. And I, I don't think, though, this this is who. I don't think this is the big reveal. I, no. I, I didn't get the sense that this is who Monica was mentioning when she had said, "Oh, I'm texting my friend." I think right. these are some of the agents that are just sort of helping her. Um, with with her mission right here These are basically like some of the people From S.W.O.R.D. who are more loyal to Monica Than they would be to Hayward They are people that you know knew Monica's mom They probably worked with her mom And they know that Hayward is maybe a little shady And not up to something good here Yeah and uh, I thought it was really telling also How you know Monica first said You know my mother would appreciate your loyalty yes. And Goodner responds with uh, She's not the only one deserving of loyalty so I really you can you can see and appreciate Monica and her backstory and what she's done via uh, the way other people, other characters in the story have reverence for her. So I thought that was really good storytelling and kind of just in that little exchange, just kind of giving all the context you need to know that Monica, you know, has a, a deep amount of respect, is, is deeply respected by the people within S.W.O.R.D. and um that it's not just uh, a nepotism thing through her mom. She's she's you know earned her own stripes there. When we're looking at the show um, now, after seven episodes too, it sort of feels like Monica's kind of like the moral compass of the show. You know, um, yes. she's the one who we have questions about everybody and some of their motivations and who and 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 as we we're starting to get those answers a little more fleshed out now. But we our questions have been like. Who's good? Who is bad? Who's controlling things? We've never had that question about Monica. We've known that she's had a yeah. goal all along to help Wanda. She's she's the good guy we've always known, and she kind of assembled that team with Darcy and Jimmy, and so we know like they're on the the good side. So yeah, she's just been someone who um, w- there's a lot of questions that we have about her and 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 her transformations now, and all of the interactions and why she's cold on Captain Marvel and this and that. But we've never had to. A question about what she wants to do. She's just a good person. Real, like yeah, it seems like everybody responds to her that way. Yeah, it seems that. I think she's um, also she kind of represents the audience. She's she's mm-hmm. she's on Wanda's side very much because I think we're on Wanda's side. Uh, she yes. she represents I think the side of the audience, the objective truth and and good. And that's she hasn't really uh, swayed from that throughout the story. She's definitely our 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 hero, our protagonist here. So they've uh, built Monica a rover now, uh, sword uh, on the front. It was built with Monica's uh, specs in in uh, in mind. So this is basically like formatted to her size and what she needs to try to get through the hex. We are back to the circus, and we got Vision uh, chasing Darcy around, and she still can't remember anything that he keeps bringing up. She thinks she's part of the circus, and that Vision is hitting on her. So. <laughs> <laughs> he finally just decides which <laughs> I mean he he waited because we we got some funny moments out of it in the show but I mean he could have immediately just yeah. walked up to her and zapped her you know and right. just 
been able to know what's going on and get Darcy back to Darcy. But she's quickly zapped. She's back to Darcy. And she says, uh, you know, part of me secretly wanted a guest spot on this mm-hmm. show, but that sucked. <laughs> no. I, lo- I loved that line. Yeah, because yeah. she definitely did. She was a fan of that show before yeah. then. And I loved that they kind of portrayed her like that. And she was watching with popcorn the whole time. So it's fun to see her on the inside. So as she starts to kind of realize, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm Darcy. What the hell is going on? Um, we don't really need to stay at this circus. Her and Vision decide to leave. Remember, she is an escape artist. So what's she going to do best here? She's going to escape. <laughs> they take the car and, uh, and, and they go on a, on a run. They steal actually a funnel cake truck. Funnel uh, of she, Love, it was called. Funnel of Love. She punches out the strong man and uh, they head off to Vision's house. And Wanda's back at home. And she keeps seeing those glitches now Like now the entire dining room table The wallpaper, the stairs That stork is back And as she talks to us again in that fourth wall Breaking the fourth wall She just keeps kind of shaking her head I don't know, I don't understand what's happening Why it's all falling apart And why I can't fix it Mm. And we get something that you sort of made a reference to earlier Where someone from behind the camera That we don't see Just asks do you think that maybe this is what you deserve? <laughs> and Wanda looks back like, what? It says, yeah. you're not supposed to say, you're not supposed to talk. Um, so that was a great moment. It that, was. That was I, it, it stopped. It, you know, it, it was moving along at this light kind of funny uh, pace at the time. Uh, and that just kind of turned real fast. And this, mo- this show has so many moments like that where it just, quickly on a dime turns into the, the the creepy the sad the morose uh and you really have to think in that moment yeah is she is she punishing herself right now is someone punishing her wants her to feel like she should punish herself uh and who's doing it i mean they show at the end of the episode the director is um is uh, agnes or agatha uh but at the time it's it's a man's voice if i'm not mistaken that it, it sounded very, very much like, like a man's is there voice a pro- yeah and then when we when we hear after and you kind of like go back and listen. You could tell it's you could tell it's Agatha doing the man's voice. Like, is, oh. is, is there something? You know, she's kind of really laying it on, so you can't tell it's her. Uh, yeah. Oh, and, that's smart. So, I I didn't catch that, but that, that I I have to go back and re-listen. I actually, my wife uh, Jackie, she told me that in the Agatha All Along song that she's she's convinced that uh, it's actually her singing yeah, the, the, the female parts. I'm yeah? pretty sure it is. Yeah, it's, it sounds a lot like it. Well, that's great. I love those little details. Uh, yeah, so uh, she says, "Do you think that's maybe what you deserve?" Yeah, so she kind of <laughs> like t- says it like it like it's in a man's voice, so you you can't tell it's a, a female even, let alone uh, right. Agnes. So that's awesome. Then we get that commercial, another commercial, which have become become these really fun spots throughout the show, and this one is for um, Nexus, uh, an antidepressant. So the commercial says, feeling depressed, like the world goes on without you? Do you just want to be left alone? Ask your doctor about Nexus, a unique antidepressant that works to anchor you back to your reality or the reality of your choice. And yeah. then it says, um, side effects include feeling your feelings, confronting your truth, seeking <laughs> Seizing your destiny, possibly more depression. Uh, you should not take Nexus unless your doctor has cleared you to move on with your life because the world does not revolve around you. Or does it? 
Right. This was a good commercial and very like Wanda focused and Wanda centric. Big time. And that's that's sort of what I was getting at with the um the opening song, how it's just Wanda, 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 Wanda. And then here we ask that question, uh, does the world revolve around you? Or it's suggesting that maybe it does, uh, maybe pushing her in that direction. I also couldn't help but just kind of get excited about Nexus being dropped in there because right? For me, that was fresh off of the Fortnite event of last uh, last season in Fortnite uh, because it was a Marvel season and they called it the Marvel Nexus event. And the whole concept about it was the Marvel characters kind of uh, traversing through the multiverse and landing in the, the Fortnite universe. Uh, so the idea that they're kind of connecting these themes across these mediums, you know, comics video games, TV shows, movies, uh, I think is really cool. I mean, even if there's not a direct narrative connection there, they're Star still Wars planting the seeds. Yeah. Star- yeah. They, with a lot they're, of the movie or video games, you know, like the the Dark Troopers and stuff, like they're bringing things right. out of, of, you know, like video. Like that's what's so great about right. these worlds that have been created now. They can pull from anything they want and make it canon. You know, so like. True. And it's it's so great because um, there's just so much source material for them to reference, to pull from, to use, to kind of get inspired by, and maybe want to take things in a little different way. Um, and the Nexus pills are the ones that we actually see Wanda taking in just a minute uh, later on in the episode when she's in the house before uh, Monica runs over. She's taking some pills. She's taking these Nexus pills that we just saw the commercial for. She's taking the antidepressants. So uh, wow, I missed that. That's great. This is again. They're always little, little small things. As uh, we are back at Agnes's house with the boys, and she has lunch for them. So the three of them are sitting on the couch. Um, Billy actually mentions that he likes it there as he's playing with the rabbit, Senior Scratchy. He says, mm-hmm. I-, "I like it because Mr. it's." Scratch. Uh, Senor Scratch, right? Yeah. This is, uh, oh, no, it's, it's his name is Senor Scratchy, but I believe Mister Scratch is a character or a name. It's, it relates to the devil, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I've yes. heard a little bit of rumbling about that, so I thought that was worth worth noting. It might be a character within the comics. I'll have to do a little research on that, but it, it relates to Mephisto and the devil and and and, uh, and Agatha Harkness, uh, from what I understand about it. So. Billy mentions that, you know, it's quiet. You're quiet, Agnes, on the inside. So, again, just a a few minutes ago, he was talking about how he's got all this noise in his head and it's kind of hurting and there's a lot going on. And now there's nothing, which when he's with Agnes, which is funny. Why can't do his powers now not work being around Agnes? Is it just uh, she's in control of everything? So um, she's doing this to him. She's could. You know, there's a lot of questions that we start to ask, but this is very interesting for someone who had been really as a kid, as the kids do kind of having trouble, like dealing with what's going on in his head. He seems to like it here because he's not hearing those voices or his, his head is not clouded around Agnes. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, I mean, yeah, it could just be that she's blocking with her magic. It, it could be that, you know, she doesn't have a soul or something like that where he can't read it. Um, I'm very curious to know the answer there. I also think it's worth pointing out that the, at the top of that scene, she comes in saying, okay, who's thirsty. So I'm, I'm wondering at that point, And I only noticed this on the rewatch because I'm wondering, 
Was that a potion? Was she giving him something that involved with their disappearance? Uh, these are questions I don't think they really answered, but uh, I, wa- I want to know. What did she give them? So Tommy's a little worried about uh, his mom now. Um, and Agnes says, don't worry about your mom. Your mom can do anything. She is super mom. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> great. And uh she, and she she seems she see sorry she seems a little bit um like she maybe even feels bad uh, yes when, yeah no I agree she, when Billy says I like it here uh, Agnes's reaction kind is like, kind oh. of like she almost looks yeah, yeah. and I'm like huh, interesting so she maybe feels bad about what she's gonna do is she all bad well that's what's uh, you know a, a if she's got some kind question, of a conscience Tim and a topic of discussion is that like who she has been through the different years of the comics when she's popped up because she is someone who is th- like this version that we're getting of her is definitely a different version than the ones that she's been in the comics where she was around forever she was very mm-hmm. very old she was actually someone who was sort of like a mentor to Wanda she was a nanny right. to some of the superhero kids through different um different comics and she was someone who we she was not really Bad a lot of the time she was actually Sort of on Wanda's side And and, and was someone that helped True. Wanda So that that's What makes this um, A lot of people have been predicting and With the name Agatha uh, With the name Agnes yeah. and, and you could kind of Tell that that's that's if she Was going to be that was the character who but That again We don't know anything about where she's Going if she's working alone, is she the big bad? Is she just being sort of a pawn for another big bad in the next couple episodes or further along? Um, that, again, that's an, this again where like we don't have just a oh yeah like here is how it was in House of M. So if you read House mm-hmm. of M, you're gonna know how this ends. That's not the case here at all, right? And we don't want that. Like we no, want something new, not well, at all. pieces of it. Sure, that's that's great. We will love the uh, inspiration from the comics and. And to stay true to the uh, the essence of everything, but yeah, we got to take liberties and stuff. Otherwise, you know, almost what's the point in, in watching it? Um, so, but I could I, I could totally see them pivoting with her, you know, to be that sort of anti-hero type character. Maybe we just don't know enough about her yet, mm-hmm. or what her motivations are, and she'll end up helping Wanda. Yeah, yeah, I, I very very easily could see that happening. So she's she's deadpanning the camera a lot right now, <laughs> and um. She's doing her another one of her confessionals where she's talking and she's mentioning Ralph again, right? Yeah. Like we get these mentions of Ralph all the time, which is like there's got to be something to Ralph, you know, him just being mentioned. I, I feel like, right. um, and she says, she, uh, uh, she said Ralph always says that I sugarcoat things, but you try telling a ten year old that his mother is cuckoo for cocoa puffs, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and. Um, you know, just makes you laugh every time she she's doing her uh, her little confessionals and her uh, breaking the fourth wall scenes. Totally. We get back to Monica, who's getting suited up to jump in the rover and head back to the hex. Um, she's basically in what would look like a spacesuit if she was going to be going uh you know going into outer space. She tells <laughs> Jimmy that she will get Darcy out and that this is their last shot. Um, Agent Goodner tells Jimmy that. Monica will go right through, no problem This is the most heavily armored Space rover that they have So Monica jumps in And she starts driving right at the hex And she can't get through uh, The density Is matching her So what happens is the front of the vehicle Is barely like making it through Sort of gets stuck And 
She jumps out of the rover And she ends up Fighting her way through the wall Of the hex The the actual um, energy field hex Spits out that rover And it transforms it into a truck But we get this scene This moment that is I, I guess I was reading through What some other people were comparing it to also Like you got sort of like the Peter Parker Transformation when he gets bit by the spider Sort of like the mm. Bruce Banner When he's becoming The Hulk some of those scenes We get this yeah. where Monica is pushing her way Through the hex and as she's Doing so she's like Gaining power She's able to see Like her life kind of flashing Before her eyes at all these different Stages we're hearing yeah. these Different voices of people Like speaking to her as she's moving through the hex, I think I picked up her mom, Nick Fury, mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, and Jimmy yeah. as people like talking yeah. to her. I picked up all of those, and I thought hearing Carol Danvers' voice, Captain Marvel, yeah. at the end, that was the one that really resonated the, the most. Uh, she said, your mom's lucky. When they were handing out kids, they gave her the toughest one. Uh, and that was the thing that really just pushed her over the edge and got her to, to be able to break through that barrier. And I thought, what a cool scene! Uh, as I'm watching it, it was it was psychedelic. It had this visually, crazy. It's incredible. Yeah, visually, this cr- digital psychedelia warping her. She had these. Uh, you could see she kind of split into four or more versions of her. You know that existed in the hex pr- uh, prior, uh, and it was a really original. Again, like the the energy and the way that that was depicted and shown was very. Unique. Um, it's not just the you know the typical glowing energy that you see in a lot of these superhero special effects uh, movies. There was a specificity to it. The way it was blocky and digital, like a TV show, um, almost like pixelated uh, in a way. Uh, and then as I I was really also uh, impressed by that visual of the you know what was that that little tractor truck thing that they they brought up that space vehicle that they brought in it how. It, the hex cut it in half and it was the begin the the front end of it was uh, a, a pe- like a pickup truck and the, yeah. the, the image of that was just so cool how it was half and half and there was this great moment there too where you see monica has the realization and the determination no i'm going in and you see i think before she even says it jimmy's reaction He's, he knows what she's doing mm-hmm. And he, he tries to stop her And it's a great, great performance from Randall Park there And she gets through the hex into Westview And her eyes are glowing blue And she looks around And she's got sort of the x-ray vision um, yeah. and, and then she kind of closes her eyes And she's able to clear it And she's, and she's seen clear again here And um, and then she then she heads for Wanda. So mm-hmm. what's what's really cool about this particular episode too is that like in most of the other episodes from like three and on, we would bounce from Westview to the Sword headquarters and back and forth. This time we've got like three. Uh, you know we're bouncing from yeah like Sword headquarters outside. Then we're to like Wanda where she is uh, in her home. Then we're to Vision and Darcy, and so this is like definitely even even different. We're like we're we're having to check in with uh, with more people here uh, and their missions as this episode um, continues to go on. So, so true, yeah. So, 
so it's like we went from an A B story to like an A through D story. Yeah, yeah. And so Vision and uh, and Darcy are driving along, uh, and she's she's basically been filling him in on everything about who he is and all that. So Vision's uh, looks and says, "So Wanda killed me," and <laughs> Darcy says, "Yes, but it's not it's not that simple. You asked her to do it." And she goes on to explain to him about Jarvis, about Ultron, Thanos, how Vision has died multiple times, how Wanda had to watch. And as they're driving, they're hitting every red light along the way in this tiny town with no traffic. Then there's road construction, there's red lights, there's kids crossing, there's rain. I mean, this is straight scene out of the Truman Show. Yes, again, again, another great homage to the Truman Show, and I thought it was really well done. Just kind of light and funny how it how it uh, dawns on them uh, what, what's going on and the the increasing absurdity of all the uh, obstructions. Vision says as he's as he now speaks to us, breaking the fourth wall. I believe Wanda is creating these impediments to stop me from returning home, and he says, "I'm not amused." <laughs> um, <laughs> Darcy doesn't seem to understand why Vision can't leave the Hex. She does let him know the love you two have is real. You belong together. She lets him know she's been watching WandaVision now for the past week, all day, every day. And she doesn't know what's real, but she knows that their love is real and that they are supposed to be together. So this is I think that's that's one of the big lines that really helps Vision to remember. I think hearing from somebody else telling him, "Hey, I've been watching you guys, and you are really in love," because he 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 uh, brings that up again in a little bit. Like th- that was a big line, and and um, it for just a one kind of small line that doesn't have anything to do with like the history or or bringing in a comic book character from the X Men. But that just seemed like a pivotal yeah. line, an important one for Vision and for what he is starting to remember and what like. That the past that he's been able to sort of call back on now. That's so true, and I, I think uh, it connects that the central theme of this episode, or one of them at least, is is love. And I had this question in my head about why the the tenth on the calendar had the heart around it, and that's been a, a motif a motif throughout the series of the you know the the heart symbol. Uh, and then they got into the the food truck that's called the funnel of love. So maybe that's all kind of symbolic of, you know, Vision's journey here uh, of sort of realizing that this love is, is real. And I think it's also of note that, you know, it was the it was 10 on the calendar. So a one and a zero, which is binary code, if you think about it. So it's like Vision finding love, like the this digital being finding Gosh, love. They got so I much going on. <laughs> yeah, I can't I imagine it. that's that's not intentional. Yeah. Um, but it just dawned on me right now that connection. So we now flash back to Monica. She has arrived at Wanda's house as Wanda is taking some of those Nexus pills, and we see uh, those are the ones that we saw in the commercial. Wanda mm. says, "What are you doing? How did you get in here?" Monica just tries to explain about Hayward and what he is doing with Vision, but Wanda will not listen. She uses her power and she. Use and Monica's levitating quickly. She throws her up into the air, right out in front of their house, out in the public. We see Dottie next okay. door. She sees what's going on. The mailman, he walks by again. Um, he he's next. He sees what's going on. Wanda's going crazy. 
She says, all you do is lie. And then she throws Monica down. But Monica does the superhero landing. Yes. The, the, the hand classic. down on one knee, fist to the ground, back arm up. And when she looks, her eyes are blue. And Wanda's uh, kind of shocked, kind of surprised. Like She's not expecting yeah. this from, from Monica. Um, but Monica, she's got a purpose. She's here. She wants to help. She says, the only lies I've told are the ones you've put in my mouth. And Monica tells Wanda, take me out then. You know what? You want to take you want to take me out? Take me out. She's kind of um she's baited, she's telling her, you know, you you come, yeah. come I know you won't do this. She's challenging her. I know you're not an evil person. If you want to kill me, go ahead and kill me. Um she says, "Don't let uh what did she say? something like don't let um Hayward turn you into a there villain." There you go. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. says, "Don't let Hayward make you the villain." Right. And Wanda says, "Maybe I already am." So Monica's just trying to get through to her. And you can see that there actually is a moment right here, I think after Wanda says, maybe I already am, where it feels like they're about to to have a breakthrough in their conversation. Definitely. Like it feels oh, like definitely. they're about to get to get on some common ground here. Um, but then what happens? Uh, <laughs> Agnes interrupts right away. Young lady, I think you overstayed your welcome. Poor Wanda has been through enough. Uh, Monica tries to let Agnes know that this has nothing to do with her, but Agnes takes Wanda by the arm and walks away from Monica. We get a little clip of that mailman one more time. And, uh, and a note about him, he, his, his uniform says presto. I don't know the exact meaning behind that, but, you know, presto... Uh, Usually associated with like magic and magicians, mm-hmm. and yep. it also st- uh, rolls off the tongue kind of like Mephisto. Just just oh, throwing that yeah. out there. That's a good, uh, good, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, <laughs> so th- this was that Monica Wanda interaction. Really, the first time that we've seen them interact, where we are now assuming that Monica's also a superhero because she wasn't. She was yeah. able to kind of. Fight uh, battle with with Wanda a little bit here yeah. using some of her own powers. Okay, so we're are to we're to Darcy and Vision now, and they keep getting stopped. So this is at the right. point where like the kids are uh, are crossing and they can't get around them. Um, again, you know, we mentioned Truman Show. This is exactly when he tries to leave and he can't go anywhere at the outskirts of all the town. There's traffic. There's this happening. The weather starts. There's roadblocks. Yeah. It's just um, you know, it's like. Vision's frustrated, but sort of like playfully frustrated as this is happening, and he he's he's being you know he's being interviewed again, and he says uh, he had no idea how much Wanda had endured before coming to Westview, and then he looks at the camera and he says, "What am I doing here, sitting talking to you?" <laughs> you know, just a total play. What a great like, moment! Like a play on all of these these shows, right? Like. As important things are happening, these characters are just sitting down talking about them instead of like dealing with the important issues. <laughs> so it's yeah. it was and the idea that that's even that is like an impediment to him him leaving, like mm-hmm. the things that she's putting in the way of like now he's in the in this uh, you know confessional thing. And it was a really interesting moment there because when he pulls out of it, he kind of he flies off from there and like simultaneously flies off from the truck. So it's like, where was he in two places at one time? Like, how does that exactly work with inside inside of the hex when they're doing yeah. confessionals? And 
Um, Darcy looks up as he flies away. So I'll just meet you there. You know, it's a great, great Darcy line. And we are back to Agnes's place. She and Wanda walk in. She offers Wanda some tea. Um, and as Wanda sits down, she realizes that the, the boys are nowhere to be found. But their lunches yeah, are on the off. table, half eaten. And so Wanda quickly sees a bug on the window. It's funny. It's like just like like it's like a little thing. But when when I'm recapping these shows now, I have to like point out everything because it's you you know that they don't mm. put things there for no reason. It's like why did she see this bug? Right. Right. There's there was a reason that she noticed this. What looked like a like a creepy crawler, you know. Um, and Wanda asks. Where the twins are Agnes says oh they're just probably playing in the basement So Wanda goes to look And as she starts to walk down the stairs Of the basement it, it looks like a, a normal Basement right off the bat right just like normal Stairs um, and she walks down But as she gets to the floor and make And turns the corner it gets Creepier and creepier It's like the inside of this like haunted Castle real like dungeon. Yeah. She has to walk through yeah, this like a dungeon Small hallway There's vines growing all over And as she's Looking around Agnes walks In and says Wanda Wanda you didn't think you were the only Magical girl in town Did you <laughs> the name is Agatha Harkness lovely To finally meet you dear So the real the big reveal And I gotta say Through the first Basically seven episodes because we don't get this reveal To the last Three minutes of you know of the of this episode, um, they have done such a great job with making you think it was her, then throwing you off her scent, then making you think she had something to do with it again, then throwing mm-hmm. you off her scent every week that they would. Okay, she's involved. Then the next week, she would just kind of seem like she was a pawn. Well, everything that happened last week with Vision, when Vision sees her when she's trying to get out, and we were able to see that she was just faking it. You know, like we we then finally thought, oh, you know what? Maybe she really isn't in control here, and she is just a pawn, and she is sort of a victim. But mm-hmm. uh, that's not the case. And they, uh, yeah, they did a good, a really good job through these six, seven weeks of making us think one, then the other. We weren't sure. What did we know? But you know what, TK? It was Agatha <laughs> all along. <laughs> <laughs> she was playing all of us. She played us as uh, as uh, viewers too. So we get another opening intro and this intro is going through as the the theme song is is playing out it's giving us flashes of all of the different evil stuff Agatha has been doing throughout the her time in Westview throughout each of the different episodes in black and white some of the stuff she did here um uh, the talent show, um, her with with Herb not Herb not letting him tell Vision, bringing Pietro mm-hmm. into the mix. She was the one behind the camera asking earlier with the voice disguised. Maybe this is what you deserve to to Wanda when Wanda yeah. said, "Oh, like you're not supposed to talk." So she's been the puppet master, pulling all the strings behind the scenes, and the lyrics for this uh, this intro. Who's been messing up everything? It's been Agatha all along. Who's been pulling every evil string? It's been Agatha all along. She's insidious. She's forbidious. But you haven't even noticed that it was Leviticus. It's too late to fix anything. Now that everything has gone wrong. 
It's been Agatha, naughty Agatha. It's been Agatha all along. So this was just <laughs> so great. Great. Yeah, I had to take that back and 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 watch it and look at all the the lyrics to it and everything and all the little little moments there. It was so perfect. Um, and uh, we should also mention too, uh, Wanda got hexed at the end there. She was uh, she put some kind of a purple spell on yes. on Wanda uh, before all that. So maybe she's been under that type of a spell the whole time, or now we're going to take it to a a different level of um, of manipulation uh, with with her fully under control. So. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see And as uh, a- After that little intro song finishes Agatha actually looks to the camera mm. And says And I killed Sparky too <laughs> The <laughs> best the witch's dog. laugh of all time too <laughs> She followed that up with The best witch's laugh of all time She has a perfect evil witch's laugh And, a cackle. and just like In the, the witch getup, She looks like she fits like she looks like she's a, yeah. a a witch, like and not like like yeah. as in like an uglier. But she, when you put the hat on her, she's got that like I'm the like the evil like la- like she looks like she'd be the evil witch in a kids movie. Oh, definitely, which was a great moment, you know, having her in the witch's outfit for the Halloween episode too. Um, I think that was a really uh, one of the biggest clues so far. I mean, besides her name, which I mean, I. It's so obvious when I look at her name now and I see Ag and Nis is at the end. So it's just, they just take the middle out and it becomes Agnes. Um, I, I, it was, it was very clever. It really paid off because I mean, she stuck, she stuck out as a very important character from the show from the beginning. I mean, she was one of my favorite characters from the beginning. So to make her this important in the story and relevant to the plot, I think is a really great twist to have because we've always known she was there and she was always important to us but not we never really even knew just how important she was to the narrative it's uh just worlds opening and also Mm -hmm. worlds that we don't really know where they're going to be pulling from we were talking so much about the x-men the last few days who knows does this have anything to do with this like who is even pietro is this like any type of crossover there was she just setting this up and putting a pawn in there to mess around with us um right uh and then we did mention um earlier that following the end the the credit starts to play and we get that somebody said that like the biggest villa in a uh, villain in wandavision is when uh is when that screen comes up at the end and you know the and you know the episode's over yeah. <laughs> you know like that's the biggest villain and it's just like no yep. no it comes so more. fast too yeah i love uh, i love that it, they get so much in in a 30 minute uh episode i'm i'm not mad at that i i i don't mind you know these episodes they're not bloated you know you watch network tv you're watching uh, a lot of these dramas and stuff they're probably about 45-ish minutes of content, you know, you know, plus the commercials. Uh, and then they'll do like 20-plus episodes per season. They might run, you know, uh, the long ones will run up to upwards of like 10 seasons. It's just they stretch the storylines too thin. They, they, they stretch their budgets, you know. They, they stretch their, their imaginations to, to make it work. In this, we're getting just rock-solid movement every episode we're getting new things new new mysteries and there's really no fat to complain about it's just it's just all all meat it's good stuff we did get that post credit scene where monica walks up to agnes's um house and she heads around the back she finds the entrance to the basement and it's one yeah it's like 
the old school basements where it's locked on the floor. You pull the doors up, and she can see um, down into it that something creepy is happening. That same kind of purple that you were talking about uh, that we saw with Wanda, um, and it's you know that creepy look of the of the basement where it's dungeony and it's got vines crawling all over. And so as she's about to make her way in, we hear uh, a noise from. And actually. As she's looking in, you know, she can she can hear something going on in there, like energy forces and and stuff. Whether it's Wanda Agnes, Agnes she, as it's like the interactions between her, the boys, who knows where they are. Um, so she's about to walk in, and that's when Pietro just kind of pops up and says, "Snooper's gonna snoop," and that's uh, <laughs> and that's how it ends. Uh, episode seven, we broke the fourth freaking wall here, Tim Kelly. I mean. It's like a great, a great episode, but it's, it is really, I, I'm, I'm so curious how they went about creating a show like this. And like yeah. when you're sitting down and you're doing like your rough drafts for the scripts and stuff, right? It's like, okay, here's our story that we have. And now how we're going to tell it through the eyes of a 60s sitcom or a 70s mm-hmm. sitcom or a 90s sitcom. Those are like those are just completely different things, you know. Like that's like yeah. a completely different like telling a story is one thing, but then being able to mimic something else while getting that story across, you could not have had a woman trying to portray the character that you mentioned, the Julie Bowen, uh, Claire Dunphy character from Modern Family, any better mm-hmm. than Elizabeth Olsen is doing here, yeah. while also. Forwarding the entire plot of this very convoluted MCU universe <laughs> and this show, it is. It, I am so impressed that they are able to do that because I can't even fathom like where you would start with something with a project like that. That you know, you hit the nail on the head right there. I've been thinking very similar uh, recently. Just where do they come up with this? This is such a wholly original idea to fit this. This idea, which I wonder, was it just one guy had had this uh, idea on a whim? Was this, you know, a Kevin Feige thing you know, from the jump? I mean, whoever thought of this totally nailed it. I mean, just just to come up with this idea to begin with, the execution's another story. They they've totally nailed that too. But just how how they came up with that as a as a concept because it's so high concept, it's never been done before. Uh, it's you know, for lack of a better word, it's weird. You know, I, I, I wonder how did they have the confidence that they were going to be able to sell this, but they did it and they're nailing it. They're knocking it out of the park. So, and the only uh, and kudos honestly, to them. We are yeah. lucky to be living in a time. Like I, I said, this of this like five year period now, five years ago, this wouldn't have ever worked. They wouldn't have no. been able to do this if they didn't have Disney plus and they didn't have the freedom and the patience of a streaming service like that where they could mm-hmm. do it in a week to week fashion, let it all play out. Man, I remember cuz we didn't recap until uh the third episode. So the way mm-hmm. that Wanda WandaVision has dropped, they dropped the first two episodes week 1 and then I didn't I didn't even actually watch until I watched uh I think like a few days later I watched 1 and 2 together and then I watched all 3 and then that's when we recapped them. But there were a lot of people that were getting cold off of after mm-hmm. the first week after those two like sick 50s 60s dropped 
They're like, what's going on? This isn't anything yeah. on the tone of the Marvel or the Avengers. Like, I don't know what these characters are. We're sort of like CD list, like Avengers, and now everything's about them. And and th- that would have been like, you imagine if that would have been like on network TV or something, they would have been canceled after the first show, first episode. People would have just yeah. just not. They would have just not checked in. But they get this. You, you don't. You have such a a, a better. Um, like a more patient way of building your show with these streaming services now, because they don't care week to week what the ratings are as much of how many people are coming to look at that show. And we found out a couple nights ago that uh, it was enough to crash the damn Disney Plus servers when that when we were all time clicking in at twelve oh one. So um, and, yeah, in the middle of the night, no less. That's right, that is yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's not yeah. six o'clock prime time on Sunday when when they when the show drops. We're talking. Actually, midnight Thursday night into Friday morning when it clicks 1201 when these shows drop, which is how the Netflix format has been. But they've done a much better job in, hey, we're going to give them to you on Friday. That way everybody can watch them over the weekend. But we're going to give them to you one at a time. We're not going to we're not going to give our whole world away. We're going to make you wait. We're going to make you anticipate. We're going to make you discuss. Mm Predict and get really excited all week long. Like it's Saturday morning right now, and I'm like getting the goosebumps and the excited feelings, waiting for Thursday night at twelve oh one again. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. You know what? I loved when Netflix started just dropping whole seasons at a time, but I also kind of wondered, you know, what are we missing about you know the, the zeitgeist of it all, though the water cooler kind of effect, uh, exactly. especially with the with the internet. And I like being able to enjoy a show week to week and discuss it with people and get, and and really just uh, savor it, yeah. kind of. Yeah. But you know, I I look at uh, something like Stranger Things, which is such a phenomenon, so successful, so well done. When those seasons come out, I devour through them, and then you know, a, a few weeks later, you know, they're old news, and that's kind of sad. It is. They deserve it's, more than that. They 100% agree. That was the one to me this year where it kind of. Or last year when Stranger Things came out When it really hit me like that for the first time Because it's like, yeah, wow Like, there's, like, every, we're so excited the Leading up to when it's going to drop And then it drops And then we get, like, articles on The Ringer And you get Vulture And, like, mm-hmm. a couple other places that are covering it And, like, re- like recapping some of the episodes But it, it's like, oh, here's a full recap Of season three of Stranger Things Instead yeah. of what we're getting to do Where we just talked again For twice as long as the episode that we watched like one right. specific episode <laughs> when that would never like that would never happen. That kind of a conversation would never happen because like I wake up and I go through four episodes, but then you wake up and you go through five or six. And so when you and I start right. to talk, we're not even on the same page and you and I are like, no, 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 don't tell me what happened in that episode. Yeah. Like, we don't even have a conversation about it anymore. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've all been there, right? Talking with friends about stuff when we're not on the same page. Like, no spoilers, no spoilers. And you just got to yeah. shut it down. But yeah, luckily, HBO Max, um, uh, uh, Amazon Prime, they seem to all be kind of moving in that direction. You know, yeah. I watched The Boys, and that was Ted a Lasso. Week week thing. Yeah. Oh, I loved Ted Lasso, by the way. That was a great yeah, series on really Apple. Good. And uh, I just I'm, I'm hoping that Disney Plus gets on board with a, like a reasonable time frame for releases. I, I I'm I would appreciate it not being in the middle of the night because I would love to just watch it at a regular right. right. You know, Seven prime o'clock time. would be great, right? Or like yeah, right. You know that'd be that'd be fine. Um, it and I I they'll they'll have what's what's nice uh, 
is that I think they're going to have plenty of time to try to tweak this and to work with uh, yeah. think, seeing if it works for them maybe a little earlier because uh, we have two more episodes of WandaVision. Now, they teased us, yeah. and we had heard some rumors that the last three were all supposed to be an hour. Uh, this one wasn't, so yeah. I, don't know if, I don't know if the next two will or won't be, but I, I completely agree with what you said. Like, I, w- I didn't come away from this being disappointed in that we didn't get enough. I just the, right. the first time I clicked on the episode and I saw it, it only went to thirty six or thirty seven minutes. I was like, "Oh Dang. damn, I wanted more," you know. I but Me too. they they checked yeah. so many boxes that I don't come out of it feeling disappointed. I feel right. like excited and and I'm like I'm cliff hung. That's not a word, but you know what I mean. Like they gave us the cliff <laughs> hanging. I'm I'm cliff hung. Yeah. You know, I'm, I want yeah. to know what's coming next next week. And uh, and that's, yeah, that's what G said. Yeah, <laughs> <Cliff-hung>. <laughs> exactly what they're yeah. they're doing their job. I'm I'm so pumped at uh at you know the like the waiting in between. It's like a a fun torture that we're waiting, waiting, waiting. We get to get you know we get to find yeah. out what's happening next week again with with Wanda, with Vision, with the boys, with Agnes, yeah. with all of our friends in this world. Um, it's break- all about anticipation. I'm all about it and uh, man I just I just can't wait till next week and uh, one thing I I, I was just thinking about is is how these characters have like grown in my imagination and my heart uh, and my fondness for them uh, because you you were saying there are like these CD characters and I would have totally agreed with you uh, up until this point right now because now that you're putting Wanda or Vision in an Avengers movie, they're like front and center in my mind. I, I care about them so much more than I did before. And you you pointed this out. Um, all, all of our a lot of our conversations blur together now because they're they're so uh, <laughs> similar. But when you said that they 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 did this with Iron Man and Captain America too, right. Like they, right? They weren't a listers in the initial like through the years of the comics, right? Iron Man was really like a nothing. You know, like, yeah. and they made him into like the like kind of like the head of this entire universe. Anything that mm-hmm. goes on between, you know, that we saw between Tony Stark and Cap was so great, and they were, and we loved it, and we got so sad, and we got upset when they fought. It felt real, and yeah, it it became it, iconic. It, it did, and it, it it's been the same with with these two now. Like Wanda just felt like, in the nicest way possible, such a can also ran. You know, like just mm-hmm. just another part of the crew. Um, yeah, and and so it, it was funny because I remember when I would see when I saw a couple months ago the like the lineup of the shows that are coming out. My initial thought was okay, like those should be fun. Right. But like, how interested am I in Wanda, uh, Vision, like the Fal- winners, like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? You know, like I I don't know. Th- to me, they're not the, the 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 most intriguing of the Avengers or the ones that I love the most. But now. Seeing what they've able been able to do with Wanda, with Vision, like making me fall in love with with them, I'm really excited for how they may make me fall in love with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and with Loki totally. coming up. I have all I have like completely now seven episodes through surrendered my like my snarky critique for <laughs> for a lot of stuff that Marvel and Star Wars are gonna do because. If if at the end of a movie or a show, it's not good or things don't add up, I'll critique it. We'll critique it. We'll yeah. we'll say what we think. But I'm gonna always give them the benefit of the doubt at the beginning and let things play out before I ever get too upset or critical or start asking like stuff in a in like a negative. What I wanted more of this or that because they give us everything 
eventually mm-hmm. what we want. They, and they give yeah. us more than we want. I never wanted a vision in a Wanda show. Right. I didn't want to be in love with them, and now I am. Yeah, they've they've earned our trust, and uh, they so that's why I didn't really have much of an issue, you know, giving them a couple of episodes to kind of lay no. the groundwork on this series. Uh, and I, to, to be fair, found a lot of those early episodes um, very rich with a lot of you know int- intriguing mystery, and I loved just on its surface the the um, the aesthetic choices and the way it was a total meta take on TV. I, I was I was in on that. But even if I was one of those people who wasn't really sold on that stuff, I would have still given those those few episodes mm-hmm. of a buffer because Marvel has come through for me in the past. You know, I They're wouldn't have DC. thought that. <laughs> right, right. Unfortunately, that's the, the, the track records. I was are watching not both a lot of the DC equal. stuff the other day too, and it just I yeah. like comparing it to this world after having like gone through recently a lot of the Marvel stuff or even the Star Wars world and just seeing how like. Some of it doesn't add up. There are some good things. I thought Man of Steel is okay. Like, you know, Wonder Woman's yeah. good. There's some stuff here and there. But, yeah, just yeah. they they dot all the I's. They cross all the T's eventually. If you feel like yeah. they haven't done it yet, just wait, right? They don't right. take anything for granted. There's nothing that shows up that's somewhat there for, like, that doesn't have a reason. Like, they they know what they're doing with all this stuff. And this, this world building has just been, yeah. been so so incredible and uh yeah i I, this was a massive episode it's like we're broken records in that we we say a lot of the same things at the end like overall my overall thoughts great acting right from the characters they all act phenomenal like we got to see ag Ag like catherine (laughs) hahn in this hilarious like you know speaking to the camera when she talked about biting i bit the kid once that's still my favorite line like i died that was great Elizabeth Olsen completely breaking down, like absolutely having mm-hmm. a midlife crisis breakdown. And she was exactly like if you would just put her onto Modern Family, you wouldn't even have noticed the difference with the character yeah. at, at whatsoever. And then we moved all the way to the point where we know now that it was Agatha in some way, shape, or form in, in charge and control of, of everything evil going on. So uh just I, 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 there hasn't been a bad episode, and I think if you've watched the full series now, and and you go back to the beginning, you're gonna appreciate it, enjoy it, and really understand everything even that much more. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's sad, sort of TK, that we only have two episodes left now. Like I'm starting to get those like mixed emotion feelings because I want so I much know. more. Wanda. Yeah, I know. And you know, the end endings are always tough. Endings are tough. I mean, a lot of people like. You had a show like Lost, and I personally, I, I enjoyed. I really enjoyed the Lost ending, but a lot of people had mixed uh, feelings mm-hmm. about it, or or just not into it. Like, right? The yeah, Sopranos, like- same thing. You could have a great show, but the, if you got to stick the landing to really be regarded, you know, forever as that great show, uh, and they can be very divisive too, you know. And so we'll see how this they will- can continue. Yeah. into the rest of the MCU other movies Doctor Strange cuz now what will be happening is um these these aren't going to be like WandaVision isn't going to be set in its own timeline this is going to have connections to the future movies and the future Marvel projects so this is all laying the groundwork for what's to come down the line we only have two more episodes to come down the line here with our weekly recaps on uh, on that's what G said with Tim Kelly it has been so much fun probably like 
the, the highlight of the last month, month and a half for me, uh, catching back up with you each week, talking these WandaVisions. It's been a, a blast hearing your thoughts, some of your theories, uh, opinions, some things that you picked up that I have not. And I know a lot of people are, have been uh, uh, reaching out to me and letting me know that they've loved the, the recaps and they enjoy uh, hearing us break everything down. And they kind of do the same thing that we're doing, giving some of their predictions with some of their friends. So, TK, man, thank you so much. And thank you thank for you. coming on twice this week in the first week that you're been a father. <laughs> We've had you two different times to, to help out. So uh, can't wait again till we chat next week. I love it. Yeah, can't wait to do it again, too. Can't wait to see that next episode and, and uh, talk it over with you, man. Dissect uh, it. Let's you're do great it. <laughs> on uh, on social media too. You, I think your Twitter, Instagram, and uh, let us know your where we can follow you and uh, and about the music. Thanks so much. Uh, at Tim is not funny on Twitter and and Instagram. And uh, the Ice Cream Fire is my music project. You can listen to me on SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, anywhere you stream music. Tim Kelly, he'll be back with us next week talking more WandaVision. We'll be into episode eight. We only have two more left. So uh, exciting time here as we uh, try to finish out this world of WandaVision and see where they head next. Don't go anywhere, folks. We got plenty more coming on That's What G Said. Our, our recaps of WandaVision just keep getting longer and longer because now we have not only each week's episode to talk about, but how it, um, you know, goes back through all the other episodes how it, it impacts the greater mcu what it means moving forward all these predictions big thank you to tim kelly for helping us out each and every week with these and a big thank you to all of our guests on this episode dave Handelin talking nba we had martha clausen talking sam houston and then we went through all the racing for wednesday and thursday and tim kelly with wandavision tim will be back again next week for another recap on the next episode of That's What G Said, really looking forward to some of the things we have lined up for you. We will be talking about all the big races on Sam Houston Friday and on Saturday with a guest handicapper there. I just don't want to announce until well, I'm for sure so, but we will have at least one guest handicapper. We're going to have uh, NBA, Who's Hot, Who's Not, with Eric. We'll have uh, wrestling with Chad Cooper. We'll recap what happened this week. The new WWE champion, The Miz. We're also going to talk Gulfstream Park with Barry Spears and Craig Milkowski. It's the big Fountain of Youth card. And then I'm going to talk about Oakland, uh, some of their stakes races. The Southwest is made up. And then we'll hit up Young Rock. Episode 1 and 2. We'll talk about the first two episodes of Young Rock, what we thought about those. So thanks so much, folks. Make sure to remember, if you can, to support some of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. Cindy Carava, full-service realtor at CindyCarava.com. Sarah Candles, all-natural soy wax candles. That promo code GINO gets you 10% off your purchase. Sam Houston, low takeout. You hear about Sam Houston here each and every day of their racing meet. DRF for all of your past performances. Visit DRF.com and uh, check out the new mobile enhanced DRF uh, stable duel. We'll uh, give you the information about the Stable Duel contest each and every week here. And then OldSmokeClothing.com, horse racing swag. The best that you will find. Promo code Gino gets you free shipping on your order. Joey Cleveland, close this thing out.
pressure as 